episode 43 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 21 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were spammed by Panther, phased by Flash Gordon, and beguiled by Bard's Tale. This week, we conclude our look at the games in January 1987, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. So Graham, tell us what we have going on this month. In this enormous garden centre coffee shop cake selection of an episode, we get to the chopper and type our flight commands and scoot around the skies with Super Huey 2, grab our combat pants and practice our best squat leaps with the crappy Soldier 1 unsequel captured and ready our space cannons and head off to teach the Polon some manners, if we can find any, in the suspiciously enemyless bulldog we also decry the isometric pac-man-like insanity and control stupidity of the dubious crystal castles debate the rationale for yet another early arcade conversion with the classic donkey kong before taking a deep breath and gasping in abject horror at the blocky skid mark on the c64 underpants known as bazooka bill if that rancid looking cheese and tomato panini and chips hasn't crushed your appetite we also grab our cosmo police uniform and explore some mysterious caves in the confusing japanese arcade inspired galivan cry foul at the weird demands of Rail the Perverse and fight for Uranium-235 in the heavily overplotted nuclear embargo before finally grabbing our crucifixes, chomping on a garlic and heading off to Transylvania for a three-part gory-ish text adventure in the 15-rated Dracula. Some of the games in this episode stink worse than a vampire's arsecrack, AD. We are going to need industrial strength eye bleach after this. Swish. Sweet. Awesome. I'm sure all of that is going to be amazing. Having played all these games, I know we are in for a barrel of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a delicious pre-packed sandwich full of awesome ingredients. There is. There is a cornucopia of delights for yes. us to get through. Unfortunately, um, it's uh, out of date by 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and the, may- the mayonnaise has gone south. <laughs> yeah, the mayonnaise has grown legs and walked off and had kids. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out as we go. We will, yeah. So uh, let's let's crack into these. Uh, we've got we got nine, haven't we? Nine games. Let's have a go. So what's up first? Now this was uh, this is uh, it's not Sizzler, but it is the highest uh, joint highest rated game this month. The no Sizzlers or anything this month it tells you everything, doesn't it? Um, mm. But this is Super Huey Two. Now Graham, I know you were having problems. Did you manage to get this running? I did not. You did I, not. No, I okay. didn't get to play it. I got to watch a YouTube video of it, which is not the same. <laughs> so if you played it, I would suggest that you uh, you just I take because yeah. I did, I did. I've got some commentary on what I saw, which I can provide. But there's not. I haven't got a great deal of experience with the game. So no. Well, if you you played Super Huey, didn't you? Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't. Yeah, well, like just simulators. just 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 cut that in. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, 
It looked all right in the it looked it looked like the previous one in the YouTube. Is that yeah. the kind of thing? Oh, okay, right. It is. It's more it's more of the same. So this is the follow up to you know this is Paul Norman's follow up to Super Huey, um, and it's Super Huey two. Um, it's got a huge long intro sequence, <laughs> which you can't skip, or I couldn't. So I don't know if you can. He does like his intros, just, uh, doesn't he, Paul Norman? He, he does. He loves he loves his cinematic intros as Mr. Norman. Um, maybe he's related to Barry Norman. Um, <laughs> maybe. And runs it runs in the family this uh, filmic tradition. <laughs> and why not? Um, and why. Well, Get out. Get out. <laughs> Seriously, get out. It took me ages to remember what he said as a catchphrase. Goodness. I, was, I kind of oh, need to have a rest after that. My brain's just gone. Like hard drive almost errored trying to figure out. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to have a nap. Uh, so Super Huey 2. Okay, so it's got a huge intro. It's basically just this 3D effect flying over this, what is a, like a rocky desert landscape uh, with these sprite scaling stuff going on. It's quite nice. It's fast. And then every now and again, a word will pop up. Those words being super, then Huey, and then lots of twos. And it tells us we're playing Super Huey 2. Then you get a list of, uh, essentially what then comes up is you just get a load of um, options for missions to uh, play through. There are six missions this time. There were three in the original, I believe. Um, and the missions this time, we have Renegade, Gulf of Terror, Brush Fire, Oil Fire, Arctic Rescue, and Bermuda Triangle. Okay, so that, that's our options. So, and it doesn't, I, I, I'm going to blame my hand. It doesn't really matter which one you pick because you'll just fly around for ages and unable to find anything. Those six uh, things you mentioned there are also the exact track listing from that guy that sings about Bermuda Triangles. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, his, I'm off back jo- to sleep. This joke is... <laughs> It's as old as that mayonnaise. I'm off back to sleep. I can't remember his name. Do you know, it's been one of those days. Barry Manilow. That's it. Right, just I'm going to cut that in where you go, Barry Manilow. That, and no, that laugh. You I'm just going to cut no, it really abruptly. You cannot. You're going to go, Barry Manilow, and laugh, and then we'll never talk about it again. Uh, with, the mod- with the powers of modern editing, we can make ourselves look funny. Yes. Those six tracks are just like ones off a Barry Manilow album. <laughs> and communication. Oh, Super Huey 2. <laughs> End of line. Um, <laughs> neutralize the electro scan. So there's no real intro to these levels. Well, that's not fair, actually. You kind of get a bit of intro with some... Uh, there's some speech uh, that kind of tells you what you're supposed to do. Um, I couldn't quite make it out. It was garbled and muffled. Maybe it was supposed to be atmospheric, but there's, there's atmospheric and then there's un- non-understandable. There's a fine line between it, you know, and uh, I found it hard to understand. Even with headphones on, I couldn't couldn't really pick out what was what it was saying. So this um, this kind of follows the same kind of control scheme, but I, I couldn't quite figure out. There was loads of, you know, it's those three-letter codes again. But this time there's more six letter codes or six words here at target oh, God. And course and all this kind of stuff but also use the keyboard it's i, I couldn't I, I i tried finding a manual online just to see if i could make it easy for myself but the only manual i could find online was for the dos version which didn't work because it didn't have any of that the dos version seemed like it had proper controls oh. um so then i watched a youtube video which is probably the same one you watched and that just seemed to go on for nowhere <laughs> so if that's the one i watched it's just you know it so graphically, technically, it's pretty clever, I suppose. There's, you go flying around and the 3D effect is quite okay. You can fly over the sea. There's stuff to do. But it's just, I just found myself, there's no there's no um, uh, indication I found of where, I, where the hell I was supposed to go. And I, no matter what mission I tried, I couldn't, I, just, I don't know, I f- just flew around. I got my, you know, I got the plane off the ground. Well, sorry, the helicopter. I got it off the ground. I started flying. I moved forward. I turned left and right a bit. I flew for ages. I let it go in, trying to think about was something going to happen. Am I going to get some indicator? I couldn't find anything. So it, for me, it was just a lot of empty, uh, empty area just to fly around. And, and reading in the, the the notes, it seems like it is a big piece of area. But I just it's just left me 
bewildered. I just didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm just flying around in a super Huey for no no good cause. Every now and again, oh, one thing did happen. Another helicopter appeared at one point and blew me up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that was after flying for like five minutes. <laughs> it's a depressing thought, really, isn't it? That, that's the, it it the really peak, was, yeah. The peak excitement of the game is you being killed by another helicopter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Five minutes of nothing, then a burst mm. of excitement. It's like, you know... In bed. To be fair, that's um, what I got from the YouTube video. I just thought it just looked, yeah. like, it looked like an endless scenery explorer, mm-hmm. like a horizon line system. You know, yeah, that's all it is. So, and it just doesn't feel finished. That's my main issue with this. I said I looked around for playthroughs. I read comments. I tried doing what the comments telling me, but just nothing happened. And I just crashed again. And there's no when you crash, it's just a you know sound, and then you're back at the you're back at the base and start again. There's no anything. You just press, it says, oh, don't ever press F1. I think it's F1 because that just resets it. Or left, no, left shift. And if you do press left shift, it just takes you back to the, uh, you know, the options of finding the thing. And that's just it. odd key. (laughs) Yeah. The the, the weird thing is, is, well, yeah, why not run stop? Yeah, or escape or whatever that would cover. <laughs> yeah. Was. yeah, run stop, I think. Yeah. Um, run stop, yeah. Well, the, the other weird thing is as well is that when it tells you to load in a... When it tells you to load in the mission, it tells you to change disk. There's just a, a random quote from airplane at the bottom, which is there's no loading or unloading in the white zone. Oh, I, I got that far. That's as far as I got when I tried to load it. That was it, that screen. I saw that. Yeah, that's the loading screen. It's on that for a while, I will say. Yeah, so, yeah forever for um, me. Yeah. There's no, there's no failed mission. You don't get any kind of failure. You don't get anything. It's just, it, it felt unfinished to me. It feels mm. like the, the front and back end and all the interstitial bits, the bit that join it all together and tell you what to do, are just not there. Mm. There's technically a clever game here because obviously we know Paul Norman is a clever guy and he does clever things and he's technically very adept. But the, there needs to be someone coming because look, you need a bit of player affordance in this. You need to tell people what the hell to do. Mm. Give them a direction to fly and tell them something apart from this garbled speech at the beginning. It's just impenetrable. I just found it impenetrable and in the end dull again. You know, I think that's what we said about the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly um, that, yeah. Yeah, so there's no real, you know, progression here. This was just another one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a progression from Super Huey to Super Huey 2, but it's just, you know, exemplified the dullness for me. And I just uh, I just wish I could have got on with it because I kind of like Paul Norman stuff. I think he's quite clever, but I just didn't get on with this. I think we're waiting for Gunship, aren't we? Yeah, really? to be fair, that comes, kind of comes along and sort of wipes the flow with this a bit and i mean i I say i didn't play it so i can't comment on its playability although it didn't look supremely playable the only comment i have really is can i I can only comment on the the visuals looked okay i like that when there's a part in the youtube video i watched where it went over the ocean and the ocean was actually animated in in a way so it wasn't just Mm -hmm. a blue block that was interesting quite nice idea and the only other thing was the sound effects of the helicopter sounded really good that Mm. could have just been the youtube video i was watching but the actual sounds of the helicopter because they use it's not just you know an annoying sound it actually has not just the rotor blade spinning but kind of the engine drone at the same time it just that sounded pretty good other than that i have nothing to comment further because i didn't yeah it didn't look very exciting to me the technical aspects around it it's all good Mm. it just needed it needed a finish it needed a polish it needed someone to come in and go right you need this you need a better title screen get rid of that long intro it's dull that's what it what's what it really needed and i think yeah. just a a final polish and pass that last five percent of the game design yeah. of the you know telling the player what to do and this could have been really really good even a tutorial mode would have helped yeah it was a bit just to sort of go right stuff, wasn't it, there at the beginning you know tell, telling you what to do but zap liked it and i think i imagine if you had the manual with it it's gonna you know it's gonna imperceptibly improve it because you kind of know what you're doing and it might tell you things that you couldn't but i couldn't find one so yeah yeah i yeah. can you know and i looked everywhere I looked absolutely everywhere yeah. to try and figure out you know, what I was doing. Not but. easy to find. And you're right. I mean, I read the Zap review and um, they weren't blazing about it. One of the reviewers kind of said it, it takes a while to get into and it's okay when it sort of kicks off and there's a bit of action, but it mm. takes a while. 
the general consensus was that it was just it was in some ways it wasn't as good as the first one, and in some ways it was slightly better. It was really a non-committal review, which is kind of exactly how I feel about this. So you know yeah. what well, I've simulations in that part arcade what do they even call this is this an is it a simulation that's an arcade or an arcade that's a simulation flight fight sim i guess well, you yeah. know the speech was a bit silly it? wasn't it? it just you know at least it had you know ocean that was animated i was quite pleased to see that it did yeah yeah which we can say so super if you like super you're probably gonna like this but if you don't it's not gonna um no you know it's not gonna rotate your tailpipe no. but at least you'd be able to oh, say whatever. you flew the uh2x and that's something that I can. I, I've got that on a certificate on the wall. But actually, well, I've got. I, I it's on have. my CV. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. I know. It's what got me the job. It's so like when you got, when job. you actually got into the cockpit of a superhero and typed in the word "fly," it didn't take off, did it? So, oh, no, that's not how you fly a helicopter. You didn't just ask it. <laughs> take off, lied damn to. you! Take off. <laughs> I've seen Firefox, so maybe I should be thinking in Russian. <laughs> Superhero too. <laughs> okay, that's, I don't look, know what accent that, that was. was. It wasn't Russian, and it wasn't even in Russian. That's true. <laughs> we all know that's how you speak Russian. Da da. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Net. Uh, whatever. Net. Yeah, yeah. Net to Superhero too. That's not a not one we like. Yeah. So there we go. Let's move on. Uh, shame you can play it because you could. You probably. I think you'd probably find it the same as me. Yeah, it looked boring, and I'm, I'm not into that. So I think I've dodged a bullet. Yeah, so let's move on and I'll talk about our next one as well. Shall yes, I? please do. <laughs> okay, so what's next? Uh, captured. Ah, oh, I can't believe this is full price. I can't believe it's <laughs> Which not is butter. Ter- ter- <laughs> terrible name, yeah, for the butter substitute I bought the other day. <laughs> I can't believe this is full price. <laughs> That's what I said when I played this. It's like, oh. So this is Captured. So this is the uh, sequel in in name to Soldier 1. Remember Soldier 1? Unfortunately. Yeah, so Soldier 1 was that ropey beachhead knockoff that we had the other week. <laughs> That's not the um, review you want to hear, is it, if you, if you first did. Imagine <laughs> they said that about the first Star Wars. It's a ropey knockoff. You know, oh, no. <laughs> you know it's not good, well, is it? That first that's what one, it was. So. It was a ropey knockoff of Beachhead. So this is, amazingly, in, in tradition of most sequels, it's worse than the first. Mm. So we didn't think that was possible. So the sequel to Soldier One sees our hero, Soldier One, Mr. One, captured, chloroformed, and imprisoned somewhere that mightily resembles an awful 2D platformer. Mm. That's what it looked like to me anyway. Aye. And you, when, you wake up, he, when he wakes up, he has a note in his pocket, and it reads, Find the security code to the door, but beware of the beasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm often leaving notes like that around the house <laughs> for my partner. <laughs> Beware of I the don't beasts. Chloroform- I d- <laughs> I don't- she's like, what have you done? <laughs> she's like, beware. Beware of the beasts. Chloroformer when she's in Tesco and she just wakes up in the shed. Why am I in here? Beware of the beasts. <laughs> Let me out. No. It's dangerous. No, beware. beware. Beware the beasts. Beware. You've got to find the security code to the door. <laughs> it's open. That's the code. <laughs> So anyway, what this is, what is it? It's a 2D, it's an awful 2D platformer. So what this is, as I have noted here, is screen after screen of stupid platforming that has become now, for me, it is the third in our trilogy of massively overjumping main characters. Yep. So we started off with Spiky Harold. Uh, we had our Hedgehog. We progressed to our Knight in Shining Armor and Camelot Warriors. And then we have this guy, Soldier One, who's, who's mighty leap. He has a mighty leap. He does. For no reason. That's completely uncontrollable and stupid. Yep. There's... There's, there's very little on screen to avoid, and what is there is baffling. There's helicopters. <laughs> you jump over helicopters. 
<laughs> like, what, eh? Don't what is look this? for logic. Come on. <laughs> Don't. Well, I wouldn't call an, a helicopter a beast. Just saying. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, but you ever jump seen over one? them. Um, yeah, exactly. But there's very little to avoid on the screen. But you will hit it due to the stupid jumping. Because mm. there's no way to avoid this. The jumping is stupid. And But there's also... Let's let's take a moment to reflect on the um, the facing the screen jump. Oh God! <laughs> so there's you can jump up. So our, our our hero can face left and face right, but it's not just a flick left and right. There are three frames of animation to turn him from left to right. One of them is him facing onto the screen, looking like an action man. And when he jumps up, he just I don't know what he does. He just <laughs> he squats <laughs> and thrusts. I can't, I can't describe it. He just bounces upwards. He just thrusts upwards with a mighty <laughs> mighty squat. He squat thrusts. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed out why loud do you have at to that. Fa- yeah, why do you have to face the screen to do it? I don't why know. Just- it reminds me of when when you capture if you ever catch a dog having a poo, then they look at you and they're like <laughs> they're that terrified look in their eyes, like don't look at me. It's a bit like that. I think it just <laughs> some it was weird. It re- it kind of we- weirded me out. It really weirded me out. I was like, I just found myself laughing at. It, I noticed it because he just jerks himself upwards. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> no one does. Uh, this it, it, is risible. It's so out of place and time. I'm not sure what the thinking is. I mean, and the music and visuals are, are awful. Awful. Pa. It's just my final comment. It's just awful. Pa. Awful. Bah. It's captured. Craptured. <laughs> Craptured is really good, actually. <laughs> there you go. Why don't I think of that? Um, <laughs> I have nothing much further to add to what you've said. I, I agree with everything you've said. As soon as I saw that it was by the people that made Soldier One, I was like, uh-oh, I have, I have a funny feeling. <laughs> There was, a, there was a tremendous disturbance in the force. I just, it defies logic that someone can jump further angularly than they can upwards. <laughs> there's, just, there's a physics-related issue abound. I don't get it, and I don't want to get it. It was just it was ridiculous, wasn't it? The enemies were just too, simply too hard to avoid unless you heroically leapt around. Level design was stupid, and oh, what's the? What, there's nothing really redeemable about this game at all. The music, the, the music was, I've, I put it, it's like a naff 8-bit John Carpenter meets Synthwave and they had a fight. And, just, and that's the result, the sound <laughs> is that fight. It's just, it's wild. Yeah. It just goes off in really wild tangents. It's really odd. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't get where you start with an idea and then when you get to the point when you're looking at that, going, my idea, that now that is what you call fruition. Right there, that's come to fruition. My <laughs> idea's gone from concept to completion. Because at some point, you'd, and then someone would hopefully come along and go, that's really crap, that is. But that, <laughs> clearly that, that uh, phase of the development didn't happen. And so it ended up getting released. So there you go. By Acorn. Did I see that right? Was this released by somebody called Acorn? I don't think it's the Possibly. Acorn. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Maybe. Grieve graphics But they did again. release it for nine ninety five. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that that's a good price for this. <laughs> It's crap no 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 if this if you'd like you say craptured if you got this for christmas uh, that year you would be falling out with your relatives wouldn't you that's terrible and you're yes. not gonna get any fun out of that so no no rubbish rubbish absolute craptured is a really good uh really good pun and it's real so avoid it don't, <laughs> no don't yeah. don't play it for god's sake don't play it we played it so you don't have to and in this instance it's really is true <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. I felt myself corrupted after it. It's <laughs> just so bad, so bad. Uh, it was terrible, corrupted. Oh, yeah, terrible. there you go. Oh, I felt bad after that game. Did I feel better after the next one? I don't know. Let's let's find out in a moment. All right. So yeah. So up next, Graham, tell us all about Bulldog. 
bulldog, a top-down shoot-em-up of, of a sort. You are out to go and sort out the polons. <laughs> <laughs> Pesky polons. <laughs> <laughs> the polons are causing trouble, so we've sent War Rocket Ajax. Now we have that's Flash Gordon. We've sent a War Rocket to sort them out because that's what we do in the Earth. We just send out, you know, attack ships. The idea mm-hmm. of the game is that, and now this is actually there's some interesting things about this game. All fun aside, so it's a top-down shooter, and in actuality, in this you've got to kind of shoot the scenery out of the. So it's a bit like the Warhawk style. It's a bit like that kind of thing. So you're shooting the scenery out, and the more scenery you shoot, the, the kind of the more stuff you points and you're getting like that. You don't really get attacked by a lot of enemies in this. Your bullets, you do. You get attacked by bullets all over the shop. So it's a top-down shooter, and so it's bo- bottom to top. You are presented a bit like Warhawk with kind of scenery to shoot, and there's a few games where you have to shoot this sort of scenery. So it's a little bit it's, it's base relief type graphics, scrolling slowly downwards. You shooting, you're shooting up. Bullets don't go super quickly. Your spaceship design's not super big, so it's not as big as Walk. It feels a little bit smaller. And there's a bit of whiz-bangery around when you start the game. And the actual game surrounding, so there's a sort of title screen, the start screen, there's a little bit of... So that actually doesn't look terrible. It's not. So this game doesn't look terrible, um, at least initially. So you scroll in. Now, there's not a lot of enemies in this, and I think this we'll come to this in a minute. I don't think there's any other than bullets that are shot from the kind of things in the scenery. So you can shoot those and you shoot at them and then obviously them all of those things shoot. You also get power-ups in this and there's also little tricks. So um, the scenery, the way it scrolled and the way it kind of react- interacted felt a little bit like Bounder in a way. So you were a bouncing ball, you were a spaceship shooting it out. Um, so you can gather um, sort of extra speed, firepower, you collect bombs which you can use. Some of the ones sort of reverse the way it scrolls which is quite a nice touch. There's little sort of hints like that. And what you've got here is kind of a, a shoot a shoot 'em up that I think suffers from not having any real enemies to shoot in it as such, which means it's it just gets boring. So it's over time, it over as you play it more and more. And it's a bit easy because you haven't got any enemies really shooting at you. The bullets are quite easy to avoid generally. It's not like a bullet hell game. The most I think I had is about six. So I'm gather, sort of flying around, avoiding the few bullets that are shooting at me, shooting out the scenery. You do get to boss levels in this. So you get so far, then you get a boss. And the boss is actually just more scenery, but made into like a spaceship shape, which made me, <laughs> made me laugh a lot. So, but okay, you know what? It's a boss. And this is an interesting step for these sort of top-down shooters because this has now got shoot scenery you shoot out, no enemies, obviously, but you've now got power-ups, you've now got bosses. This is a step in the right direction for this kind of game. However, the animations are quite simple. I think it's missing its enemies and bullet, the bullet logic, bullet hell logic. So, and the graphics over time just repeat a lot. So eventually it becomes dull to look at, dull to play. It gets becomes uninspiring as you play it. And I think you've just, you've accurately described this as diminishing returns. So the, the returns diminish quickly in this. So it starts with quite a nice look and you think, actually, ah, there could be something to this. And then, and then gradually, as, in, as with the colour in the game, it, the colour in your pl- sort of feeling and play around it, it sort of drains away. And you're left with what is, a, what is a sad, sadly quite dull. The music in it's okay. Ben Daglish at the helm. Um, and I, that that music for Bulldog must have been used in a million crack tros and demos. I mean, I, I can't think I could... Just Eaglesoft alone must have used that Bulldog music in loads and loads of their cracks way back in the day. The game itself is missing something. And I think that's probably enemies. Because um, if, if you take all the enemies out of shooting up, what are you really shooting at? 
Um, and just avoiding the bullets was too easy. So it became too simple, too repetitive, too boring. What a shame. I like kicking some pole on butt, but not uh, not like this. <laughs> not like this. Not like this. <laughs> so that was Bulldog. It was a lot of uh, bullshit, really, I suppose, in the end. <laughs> the trouble is, I think... There were hints, there were little hints of what could have been in there, little ones. I'm not saying it's graphically amazing. There's just little bits of, if they'd have just thought about it for a minute longer and thought, actually, that's quite good. Let's do a little bit more of that. They might have had something, but they didn't. So here we are. What about you? Mm. I'm surprised you didn't go with Bulldog Egg. I did think of that, but you know what? I don't want people to win with bingo. So I'm trying to be different. <laughs> that's, the, that's true. I've said it now, so it's too late. <laughs> you, you, you've said okay. it. Oh, Damn it. Line, line. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a reason this feels like Bounder. You know where that is, don't you? I'm guessing it's in the same people. Yes, Andrew Green and Chris Shrigley. So it's bound. This is essentially a sh- it's, it's, shooter it's Bounder. basically Bounder, but shoot, shooter Bounder, yeah, Shounder or Bounder or whatever. <laughs> Shounder. <laughs> Shounder. Eh? Shounder. 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 <laughs> it's Chowder. <laughs> He's a Chowder. <laughs> yeah, so it's a vertical scrolling shoot em up that feels like Bounder with shooting. Yeah. You, slowly scroll, you slowly scroll up the level and shoot floor emplacements. Yeah. There are power ups to pick up extra live bombs, speed up, traverse scroll, which is weird, and so on. Mm. Um, so it all feels a bit kind of puzzly and a bit weird and a bit odd but it needs a bit more life to it it needs enemies exactly as you've noted rather than just floor stuff to shoot because it gets very pretty repetitive pretty quickly Yeah. and unlike Bounder it's pretty easy to work your way through it's uh, I put it yeah nice to see an end of level boss even if it is just uh, more floor <laughs> made into a boss yeah it was just weird you know, it was weird but, um, but it was an attempt it was weird <laughs> but you know what it, I, I, and go with me on this sort of thing but this felt like it actually did feel like what they looked like sort of 8-bit versions of the end bosses of, especially the first boss in Ikaruga yeah well, yeah yeah I said there's, there's hints little so it's kind of like, it's yeah. almost like the same shape just in 8-bit mm. style <laughs> you know because it was that you could stuff where you yeah. had to shoot on different angles and sides and stuff I'm not saying it looks like it or anything no if you walk 20 miles from a <laughs> Ikaruga Arcade Cabinet and squinted, it would look exactly like that. It looks exactly like this, yeah. <laughs> uh, the graphics are okay in that bass release style. The music's a decent Ben Dagley's piece. It just feels like the scrolling from shooter, scrolling from bounder tied to a shooter. And this is the crux of it for me, with no real understanding of what makes a shooter enjoyable. Yes, yes. Well, no understanding of how to bolt the elements together to make it. You're right, yeah. They're just, they're, yeah some, well, some of them are there, but not really used. It's Why is there no enemies? Mm. I can't get over the fact there's no moving sh- things to shoot. Don't no waves because I I cannot well I know why it's because waves are you know hard to get right and you got well, like to pop them and they're the hard to add to the bounder engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. But bounder had moving things. It had sprites coming in left and right. It had the mm-hmm. you know the floaty bit at the very beginning. But so it could have done something, and I'm sure they could have done it. They're clever, obviously clever programmers. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. But it it just feels a bit empty, um, and it just feels a bit lacking in challenge, and it feels. Yeah. It, it's it's weird because it feels like that. It's got that jaunty bounder feel. It does. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's down to the Ben Daglish music. Yeah. Um. So it doesn't feel like a sort of sci-fi shoot 'em up. Um. If that makes sense. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't. It needed a. a you know. When we're, we're going to get. You know. Somewhere in a few months we're going to get Light Force. Yeah. And the. You know. And and I haven't played Light Force in a while, but my memories of Light Force are much more positive because yeah. that music felt sci-fi you know it feels like a sci-fi shoot 'em up one of rob Hubbard's best scores that but yeah yeah exactly so that, and that's why i think this is lacking it, it's lacking the atmosphere of what it is so it just feels like a jaunty little shooter mm. and it just lacks that atmosphere and, and enemies it's all right 
I think a tenner, 60%, pff, I don't know, it's probably about right, but I think a tenner is too much for what is here. Considering, you know, I could get Warhawk for two quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tenner's a ripoff, really, for that. I would be a bit disappointed if I'd gone, you know, for this of a Warhawk and my mate's playing Warhawk for two quid. Yeah. Or five versions of it on his five Commodore 64s and tellies and just laughing yeah. in my face. I'd be like, oh, damn you with your five Commodore 64s and tellies. <laughs> we call him Jimmy Five Tellies. <laughs> I hated him. I hated that guy. He's always rubbing my nose in it five times. Bloody five tellies. Anyway, Bulldog, it's not It's not great, is it? It's all right. It's no. just a bit... It's, but, you know, it's probably one of the best ones we're going to play this week. Which is really kind of tragic, <laughs> isn't it? That's the tragedy. It really is. But hey-ho, it's the tragedy. Oh, hey-ho, let's let's quickly go on. We've only got one game left before we get into our movie stuff, movie and okay. TV. Um, so let's move on to that, shall we? Moving I on. we ought to. our last game this section which is uh crystal castles um oh god why are we getting a port of crystal castles in 1987 i couldn't why? agree more i don't get it but you know what let's just so, dive in yeah okay so this is the seemingly second or maybe the first port i couldn't date them of, of the 1983 arcade game from atari so this is Crystal Castles. You might have seen this in an arcade, you know, back in the day. It was uh, uh, it's an isometric single screen dot gobbler. Um, I think it's you know where you play as Bentley Bear, who's been trapped in a witch's house and told to collect all the crystals from the ten rooms in order to escape. Once again, I ask, what were they on? We see this with a lot of these plots. Did that? Did this? Did that plot? Was that was that plot slapped on for the sort of home releases, or was that the actual plot for the arcade game? What do you think? Uh, I don't think they would have put that much plot into an arcade, I have to say. So I, think I don't. So when they released it home, they said, well, we need some kind of story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Something definitely went down there. Okay. Well, you're collecting crystals, man. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> <laughs> the rooms themselves, they're not uh, so much rooms. Um. They're kind of like 3D Pac-Man mazes because uh, this borrows a lot from Pac-Man. Mm. Is Pac-Man just you know, twisted to the, in, into isometric view. Um, but they had, you know, they have slopes and ridges and lifts and things that you can sort of go on and you go up. So you've got to navigate around these. There's a little bit of nice touches. I quite liked um, that when you go behind the scenery, you see a little sort of outline of, of the bear. Tells you where you are. That's quite yeah, nice. Yeah, quite yeah. forward thinking. Yeah. It reminded me of like later Mar some Mario games where you go behind things and you see the outline of Mario mm. um, and other platformers. That's quite nice to see in a game this old. But, it's uh, there are some tunnels to navigate. There's levels, there's lifts. There's, each level is populated by different types of enemy. Um, there's trees. There's what look like bobby bearings um, coming after you. Uh, there's these other things as well, which sort of eat the they eat the pills. So yeah. some of them will eat the pills. Some of the enemies won't. So you can lose the bonus at the end if the, an enemy eats the last pill or the crystal or whatever it is. Um, some of them will eat them and if you're in the while they're in the process of eating them, if you go through them, you can kill them. Um, otherwise, if you touch any enemy, it's one of your three lives lost. It's yeah. classic arcade logic, you know, three lives, progress as far as you can, clear, try and clear all the screens, um, get harder and harder. It's, it's just what it is. Um, you can collect at one point, there's a magic hat, which you can collect for invincibility for a short period of time. Um, if you last too long on a, on a, on a level... Uh, berserk style sort of bees will come and track you down um and that will happen uh it's it's an okay conversion i thought of a not particularly great arcade game um because i was never a massive crystal castles fan no i always found it too twitchy and a bit problematic in controlling it now so 
I remember this in the arcade game was uh, trackball controlled, wasn't it? Was. It? This it was, was a, indeed. This was trackball controlled. And, and I think that in 1983, somebody at um, Atari had, had ordered a shitload of trackballs um, <laughs> because we had this and we had Marble Madness. And I'm pretty, I bet there's others. Um, so they were like, what are we going to do with all these balls? I just put them in arcade machines. No, we yeah. need to joystick, put them in arcade machines. Um, so they just had loads of people trying to come up with games for trackballs. Somebody put an extra zero on the order of balls that month. Yeah, too many. Because there's just too many. So they had an car and they'd replace his steering wheel with a trackball. It's like, how am I supposed to drive my car? Get in and drive. And his wheels. It's like spinning it really fast. (laughs) How do I slow down? You can't. Oh, idiot. Just roll it in the opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) His seat was a (laughs) trackball. I keep rolling back. Oh, the toilets Uh. in in Atari were just trackball toilets. You can't flush them. You have to just. (laughs) Wind it as well on the little winder ball thing. Just keep doing it. You have it. to roll it really quickly to yeah. sort of, yeah, just to get rid of the uh, debris. Yes. I don't <laughs> think trackballs were hugely successful, were they, in arcade controllers? No. Things. I mean, it worked, they worked with uh, Marble Madness to, to a degree, and but this just felt... The, what's the one where you shoot in the missile? Missile Command, that's trackball, isn't it? Missile Command, there you go. There's another one. Yeah. There you go, see? I'm onto <laughs> something here. Yeah. yeah <laughs> trackball Madness. Um, That'd be so... the title of the book about it. <laughs> <laughs> trackball madness <laughs> yeah. oh dear I, I reckon they had just had a shitload they found them in a, in a warehouse <laughs> in a somewhere skip yeah what are all these balls put them in arcades put them in arcades <laughs> Nolan you've gone mad Nolan no <laughs> <laughs> no Nolan <laughs> <laughs> no Nolan no <laughs> Um, oh this is uh, there's another version of this as well did you play the other version as well I didn't bother because I didn't like the first version well, the other version weirdly draws the levels differently. It's very strange. They're very diff- they're both okay. I actually preferred the other one, but they're both twitchy, like the arcade original. So it's just Crystal Castles. I mean, we've got we've got another one coming up after the break. After well, sorry, after the film and TV stuff. But I don't understand these late ports. It's no. like strange. It's like someone's gone and goes, oh yeah, you know what they want in 1987 is Crystal Castles. Like, mm. are you mad? Madness. Who wants that? And who wants to pay a tenner for it? No one. No one. No one. Nobody wants to pay that. So did you get anything from this port of Crystal Castles? No, I never liked the original. Um, I've played the original. They've got the original arcade, if you ever want to play it, at the arcade club. Um, yeah, so yeah, I've played the original loads. I played it, I play, used to play it back then because it was and, in the one down Cleethorpe. Yeah, and it's crap. Um, I don't like it. Yes, it is. I just don't like it. Um, and so the C64 version is just pointless because it's really hard to control the little Bentley bear with your joystick because he races around like a crackhead. So he's speeding around that uh, crystal castle, like going bonkers. So it's almost impossible to avoid the enemies, really. I mean, when you leap, another heroic leap, you press the jump button on this and you fly. Oh, yeah, he's got a massively panning. Which is part of the logic of the game. Well, I let him off because he was a bear, and bears are known for their heroic leaps. Oh, I thought he was just called Bentley Bear. Is he actually a bear? I suppose it makes sense. He would. I be believe he's a bear. Yeah. Well, he probably is. It, it doesn't matter. Really. <laughs> That'd be really weird if he wasn't. He looks like one. Well, just because it, it's a woman that's talking. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So yeah, I just found racing around like the crazy track. I mean, the way it drew it and the graphics looked out, looked like the arcade. So they looked like the arcade. But it's the controls that the problem here because there's no nuances. If digital inputs don't provide the nuance. They remove the nuance of this game, not such as there is one. Which means you just, as soon as you touch the joystick, he's like, he's off like bloody roadrunner at 900 mile an hour. Then it's turbocharging down. And you've got, there's enemies in there that move slowly and kind of deliberately. And you've got no chance, you know, this is, if you applied the same logic to Pac-Man, which is essentially just, if you put this top down, you'd be playing Pac-Man. It's the Mm -hmm. same, same logic. If you made Pac-Man insanely fast, it would be, it would be impossible to play because you would just hit the ghosts all the time. If you, 
turboed it across the screen. So the same logic applies here. It doesn't work. And because it doesn't work and it loses the nuance, it just means it's insanely difficult, unenjoyable and dull and just not interesting. It's just a really, it's a pointless conversion. Now, we've talked about conversions of arcades that were ridiculously overpowered to try and do so. Trying to cram Dragon's Lair into the Commodore 64. The converse of this is true. There's some arcades just don't convert them because either the controllers aren't suitable for the Commodore 64 or they were just crap to begin with. Just because it's in an arcade, you don't have to convert it. don't feel you need to do that. Leave it in the mm-hmm. arcade. It's 10 pence to go by now. No one cares. It's like bringing out asteroids on the Commodore 64 right now. It would be stupid. So why would you do it? Why did they do it? I don't know. Crap. I, hate it. I don't like Crystal Castles. It's not a bad game in terms of its construction, but for a tenor, it's a ripoff. And there's no fun to be had. I don't. I think I, I got to level three, maybe. Um, that's more by luck than judgment. And I never, ever got the last little gem. Those stupid ghosts always got it because you cannot navigate the little nuances of the track easily because it's so fast and you miss them all the time. So you're always missing the way in. Oh, don't even think about it. It's going to be an headache. <laughs> <laughs> that mayonnaise has gone off again. It's that bloody mayonnaise that's gone off. No, I just think, you know, and in this day and age, Crystal Castles, I'm pretty sure you've got a queue of methods out there waiting to buy that, thinking it's something else. So Yeah. Probably. She's probably yeah, right they'll be so, sorely disappointed when they get that home. Yeah, they will, because I'll tell you what, I mean, I don't, I didn't have this, I did have this on tape, and I'm trying to think, was it a gift? How did I end up having Crystal Castles? I, I know I had the original of it, I don't know how I acquired that. I don't, so I don't know. I can't I help it. you with that. No. I don't want to help you with that. I know, and I I don't obviously have any of my Commodore 64 from then at, at now, so thank God it's but the curse has been passed on to someone else somewhere along the line, but I don't know when. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystal no. Castles. So it's uh, Crystal Castles. What's the... Uh, what's the... the uh, what's the pun? What's the pun oh, for Crystal Castles? Crystal, Crystal Cackle. Crystal Cack. Crystal Cackles, yeah. Crapstall Castle. Crapstall Castle. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Crystal Crap... Crystal, crystal Crappy. I don't know. <laughs> crystal Crappy. Crappy Crap. Just crap. Just crap. <laughs> just, just Just crap. <laughs> Get the gems, Bentley Bearing. Fuck off. Let's. (laughs) It's not, is it? It's a 1983 arcade game, and from 1983, it's probably all right. You know, it's it's doing something different in 1983. But revisit this. Go four years forward, and we're like, no, we don't want this now. No, we don't want this. No, 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 we don't want it. So, uh, on that note, on that positive note, that we've got this all these positive notions from these first batch of games. (laughs) um, (laughs) Let's take a short break shall we mm. and then we will come back with some uh stuff about you know tv and films from so. january 1987 so stick around <laughs> Hearty thanks to our sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, e-books, and audiobooks. Let's hear a sample from his fabulous audiobook, The Case of the Notorious Roboticist, read by the wonderful Nikki Delgado. You want to be human? Screw that. Star Trek's got a lot to answer for. You think I want to be pooping and whizzing and loving and lusting and getting old and falling over? Get me a bucket. Marot sniggered. Well... Robots are limited by design to prevent you from appearing too human. We know Isadora breaks those rules, though. Not likely she'll give me a chip. No, I'm an 8-bit Commodore 64 in a 1024 cubic quantum world. Maybe I should chuck myself out the airlock for my final floating point calculations. Marotz chuckled and held up his vodka glass. See, now that was funny. Benson clinked glasses with him. They both sipped. 
Brilliant, just brilliant. If you like what you hear, visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. Welcome back. Let's get into film and TV in January 1987. wonder if it's going to be as interesting as it was with the music. Don't know. Let's have a look. What was going on then? So uh, in Jan- 1st of January, so New Year's Day, New Year's Day highlights on BBC One included the British television premiere of Local Hero. Mm. Yes, it is more famous for its soundtrack. Yes, this was the Burt Lancaster film, wasn't it? Where he goes to Scotland. Is it Burt Lancaster? It is, isn't it? I presume, uh, I think. Do you know, I've realised I've never seen the film Local Hero. Have you not? I've heard yeah. of it. I'm sure it's Burt Lancaster. And this guy goes there and there's, there's something about it. It's, it's set in Scotland. It's, it's supposed to be quite good. I do remember it being all right. I can't remember it for ages. Uh, there was also the classic film To Have and Have Not. Oh, yes, yes. The uh, bogey. Uh, I don't know. Humphrey I bring any bells with me whatsoever. So uh, Local Hero is, yes, it's a Mark Knopfler soundtrack, isn't it? Yes. It we, is. We know that. Yes, his first soundtrack. His debut soundtrack. His first, huh? Yes. Well, check him out. Check him the hell out. Yes. Um final track of the album Going Home is played before every home game of Newcastle United FC yes Matt Nuffler's home team oh right why is it played before I don't question the logic of the internet <laughs> why isn't it played after I don't know <laughs> when they when they finish the game and they're going home do you know which track it is by the way do you know it? you'd know it if you heard no. it oh, it's the, it's the goes that one. Oh, that one yeah <laughs> can you see the recognition in my eyes I can yeah I can see my version wasn't 100% great. I'll say that now. Um, okay. It's a little bit dowdy dowy, but, uh, you know. So, this, the, okay. <laughs> Local hero. To Have and Have Not was directed by Howard Hawks. It was. He did, did direct the original thing from another world. He, he did. did indeed. Yes. Mm. Very good. It's all about the giant carrot, isn't it? Uh, essentially, yes, it is. But it's obviously massively influential on Mr. John Carpenter, no less. It was, yes, because it would lead to uh, the thing, I guess. Thing, yeah. Yes. So. The chemistry between Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart was apparently unbelievable on set. Yeah, they were properly <laughs> So much so Hot that af- after that, they actually got together and got married. <laughs> wow. So, you know, they were acting so intently in that film, and the chemistry is so strong between them that they actually fell in love and got married. So it must have been pretty palatable. <laughs> pa- palatable? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I mean, think that's I mean the palpable. Word you're looking for. I mean, palpable. <laughs> Mm, I, f- I find their uh, chemistry most acceptable. Yes. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Mm, I think yes. Lovely on both, my tongue. Both palatable, palatable <laughs> can, and palpable. I can taste it in the air. <laughs> mm. Well, their chemistry t- doesn't taste of anything. They're no good. Get rid of that guy. He's some kind of chemistry love person. What's he doing here? Doctor Love, get away from me. So the lack of palatable chemistry is is appalling between these two. Um, have you actually? So you haven't seen to have and have not. As an aside, uh, it doesn't ring any bells. Uh, no, I probably, I might, I, I, I probably might have seen it at some point on a rainy afternoon back in the day when it was on telly or BBC Two or something. I don't know. You, you can imagine what it's like, really, because it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of you know, it's a noiry kind of. It, Humphrey Bogart acts like Humphrey Bogart. He got criticised in this because he sound, he kind of acts a bit like he does in in, in another film and. The story is a bit like, I'm not going to say the other film, but it's a bit like an, another film. But go and watch To Have and Have Not because it's a bit of an old film classic, isn't it? And then yeah, that, what baffled me like a little bit was life. that it was the television premiere because it came out like 1950-something, I think, or 45 <laughs> or something. So, I don't know. Maybe they just took a while well, to I reckon that. somebody... So have we ever shown... You know, someone behind the scenes, have we ever shown this? No. Are you sure? Yeah. Just check the internet. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I wonder what they called the, the sequel. Because if it was To Have and Have Not, the sequel would be To Have Not and Have. I don't know. <laughs> 
Anyway, you can debate <laughs> be that. Not to have. To, not to have and have. Not to have and have, yeah. The various sequels confuse the hell out of everybody. <laughs> Hang on, what's this one called? This is to have and don't have. Yours is do have, but don't do it. Oh. Have not have not, and have too. <laughs> that would be the sequel. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so yeah, directed by Howard Hawks. Good stuff, and it. The acting, the acting was palatable and palpable. That's what I say. <laughs> I, uh, yes. I have to because not have. Yes. Right. There we go. That was uh, that. But there you go. That's your uh, New Year's Day highlights. <laughs> Honestly, people must have been out when people were drunk. To be fair, is that on, on New Year's well, Day? Hung over. So hung over. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting all sorts yeah, of confusion today. It's been a long day. You really are. Yeah. It's been a long uh, day. <laughs> My confusion <laughs> their, their is palatable. <laughs> the drunkenness was palatable. <laughs> You could put it on pallets, yeah. Absolutely. Here's another one for your bingo card. Oh, God. 2nd of January, uh, Japanese-American animated series Thundercats debuts on BBC One. Aye. However, it puts it, however, only so much as the first season will be screened. Is that right? Yeah. Did they only have a screen one season? Yeah. You know, it's it's something that bugs me a lot about, because I really like 80s action animation. So, Heatman, Thundercats, all of them. I like them all. But... Often in the UK, we never got the full season or the full series. Very rare. So Ulysses 31 was never shown in its entirety here. Battle of the Planets, that was never shown in its entirety in the UK. Thundercats is another one. Um, And so you have to seek these things out later, obviously now, thanks to the internet and all that kind of magic, you can do that. But but, back then you never knew. So you only ever really saw about 10 episodes in the UK of any of these series. Yeah, some of them they did. Yeah, like yeah. Dog Tanyan, I think went from start to finish, and I think Willie Fogg did. But well, Willie Fogg would be really weird if it didn't. He just got to day seventy nine. <laughs> <laughs> he just stopped in like day forty. <laughs> we got we got to India and there was no more world. But do you know, I it just fell off. I, I did watch that for a while, and then I don't ever remember seeing the end. And that's how I felt about Ulysses thirty one, and I hadn't seen the end of that. I've seen them all now, and um, so I actually went on a bit of a campaign to find these various because some of them are really hard to find so things like starfleet which you know we've talked about before but starfleet and some of these animations and some of these shows from the late late i say late 70s but very early 80s to mid 80s they really they were really hard to track down on the whole some of them less so now and thundercats was one of them up until because it obviously there was a, another version of thundercats a new updated version came out some not that long ago well and say that's probably 10 years ago now but um they so they updated it so when that happened obviously there was a bit of a and thundercats has been one of those brands that's always had kind of a kind of a consistency about it it's always kind of you know because it's a strong a really strong brand with the sort of you know the famous thundercats logo and all of that and i think it's it's persisted in a way that some other brands of that time haven't how often have you reached over to your shelf and picked up your visionary night of the magical light i've still got (laughs) i've still got a thundercats keyring on my car keys to this day and a thundercats t-shirt as well but then again i'm a big thundercats fan anyway well, you are an honor you are an honorary thundercat like yes. i'm an honorary goonie <laughs> i am i'm not sure what my name will be maybe you can pick it from the list we're going to go through in a minute um just so you know by the way the, Radi- the, the, the rado radingo there was four seasons of the original four seasons of thundercats um they were all voiced okay. by the same actors all the way through really famous voice actors some of them but if you say the names now it wouldn't mean anything so go on the youtube go on the internet go and look them up and you'll see, because a lot of them, they do, a lot of, of the people that do the voices for these do voices for many other cartoons and also other series of things and voiceovers for stuff. Also in games, they will gradually creep into some games later down the line, of course. Um, so, for example, the guy that does the voice of, I think it was either Lionel or Panthro, I think it might be Lionel, ended up doing one of the voices in Red Dead Redemption 2. 
for example. So you can go, oh. you can Google that all day long. Anyway, that leads me to a game. Now, there are many, many wonderful characters in um, <laughs> the Thundercat series. And what I've actually done is created a list of, of them. Some of them are real. Some of these are real, genuine characters from Thundercats. Undeniable. Some of them, less so, shall we say. Some of them aren't real. So I, I was gonna, I'm just going to go for this list quickly. And you tell me whether you think they're real and you think they're not. And then at the end of that, I'll either tell you, or do you want to find out right I'll, away? We'll do it right away. I'll not look, so I won't get it. I'll yeah, get don't surprised. Look, so go don't on look, then. So. I've, wrote, I've scrolled it up. Go on. So, the first, so we're just going to go through them. So and do you want to say yay or nay after, straight away or do you want me to wait to the end? No, I'll say, well, you won't, you won't remember. No, I won't remember. <laughs> How many? All right. No, quite so. a few, but we'll go through these quickly. So, because the idea is to go through the list quickly. So, Crispo. That's a nay. That's, that is nay. Hey ho. Nay. <laughs> it's the, Dayglow. Nay. <laughs> okay, that's nay. Wheelbar. Ra. <laughs> no. Snaggy. Nay. nay. <laughs> Snaggy is a real one. Bengali. Snag- hang on, what's saying? Stop. Snaggy is a real one. Snaggy's real, yeah. Bengali. Oh, God. Nay. That's real. Oh, Claudus. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Yes. I want it to be. It's correct. Hey. Jagara. Yes. Yes. Jagger. Yes. Lion-O. Yes. Lynx-O. No. That's the real one. No. <laughs> there is a Lynx-O. There is. No. Panthro. Yes. Uh, that's real, obviously. Pumra. No. Yes, it's correct. There is a Pumra. Oh. Remember, Thundercats purr. Pumra pursues. That's what he's actually his catchphrase. Uh, Snarf. Yes. Okay, yes, that's a real one. Laura. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tigra. Yes. Yes. Balkins. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Yes, Balkins. They're actually a race of people who live on, on Third Earth. T- <laughs> the Tabots. Yes. Yes. And there is one called Jimmy. Um, Sondora. <laughs> no. That's the real one. Wizra. Might as well be, yeah. Yep, true. Screw loose. No. That's real. Cask. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Marmot. No, that's a fish in it. <laughs> no, that's real. That's uh, that oh, is God. That, that's Mumra's evil dog. That's true. Uh, Groon. <laughs> evil dog. Yeah, marmot. Yeah. Uh, what was the next one? Groon. Uh, yes. Yes, true. Danger Groon. Yeah. Snowman. Yes. Yeah, and I felt they lacked adventure on that name, but that's a true one. <laughs> it's, could have been Snowman. <laughs> yes, Snowman Ra. Dredger. Yes. Yes, that's a real one. Wonderb Ra. Get off. Get out. <laughs> no. Doof. No. Uh, no, that's not real. Beef. No. no. There should have been one called Beef, I always think. Tara. Ra. Boom, D.A. <laughs> no. Um, tomorrow. For sake. No. And the final one is Panty Line O. <laughs> On that note. No. Oh, See, Jesus. Now you can have much fun with your friends picking out Bras and O's for your characters. <laughs> I can. I'll and I think maybe if I was that. going to pick one of those, I'm not sure I'd want to be a Balkin, but I think I might be Screw Loose or possibly Snowman just because it's the most boring Thundercat of all yeah. time. Yeah. There's an entire wiki for every character, every person, everything throughout the whole series. I'll put the link in the show notes. Go and explore it at your leisure because you'll find some real, real classics in there. And when you get to the Robert Burbles, you'll have a good old laugh. So off you go. Okay. Give me the link and I'll go have a look. I will. All right. What was going- so after that, after Thundercats, <laughs> same day, uh, we had the television premiere of Poltergeist. On yeah. BBC One. Yeah. Um, it could very well have been heavily edited for UK TV. Everything else was back then. 
Yeah, so I, I couldn't remember me. if it was or it wasn't. I was because BBC. I couldn't remember because ITV did a lot of hatchery, didn't they? But did BBC? Uh, probably. I think the, maybe the pe- depends what time it was on. The peeling of the face is the bit I would think. It's on at two eight two p.m. Uh, definitely there. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I'm joking. I think it was. It would have been post BBC, a proper post watershed. Yeah, it would have. It would have been nine o'clock. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I mean, the only bit, like I said, that I would think would be edited would be a bit where sort of thing. He gets a scratch on his face and then he claws yeah, his yeah, face yeah. off, and it's yeah, just yeah. a skull. That would be the bit that would be gone. Yeah. Um, but um, I like the special effects in this film. I watched it recently and thought they still stand up. Personally. No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> um, they don't. It's better than the <laughs> better than the remake. Don't get me wrong. That's terrible beyond. Anything. Oh, that, re- that but, remake angered yeah. me in many ways. But uh, the special effects don't... The sad thing is they don't hold up. The film itself is good because the premise is good and the acting is good in it. But the effects are a bit... Nowadays, they're a little bit... Well, yeah, they're not... They're not especially in, they're in, in ultra-high definition okay. and stuff. It's, it's not... It's not I, watched, I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey. Now, that's a film that is famous for the quality of its... Not its effects like the mind-blowing, but you, you watch it and you think, wow, those special effects, even for the time, are quite staggering. Not in ultra-high definition, they're not. That's clearly a model. <laughs> Ruins everything. Ruins everything. And those monkeys. Huh. So when I watched Poltergeist in UHD, I was like, oh, no. it's. I'm going to have to undefine you. Be, be undefined. <laughs> <laughs> go back to go back to 1080p or less. Because it doesn't help them all day yeah. these films. It really doesn't. No. No, no it doesn't. But I, I, I really like Poltergeist. I still yeah, really it's a good like film. Just, just now, modern technology isn't helping it. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, 3rd of January, Carrot Confidential started. Ran from 1987 to 1989. I don't remember uh, a lot about the show. Jasper Carrot? No, I don't remember much about Carrot Confidential. I think, was it a stand-up one? I think was it's, it, a, was it part sort of, stand-up, was part it, sketches? Part did. sketch, Maybe, I, think I think it was, yeah. yeah. It was one of those. I yeah. really, I, I used to really like Jasper Carrot. I had mm. records. I had two records of Jasper Carrot. Oh, he's a really funny guy, and especially then, you know, really good. It's, it's you know, it's sketch about the mole. And getting yeah. arrested on Jersey, yeah, and you know, going to and going to watch uh, Birmingham play uh, Manchester United, <laughs> oh, it just used to kill me, it just used to destroy me. Um, and obviously, his classic insurance claims, yeah, oh, they were brilliant. Yeah, he's so a really good, talented stand-up comedian and of a type that was unusual at the time. Um, yeah, because so he wasn't, he wasn't unique. particularly, you know, you know, there may be some bits and bobs, but he, he was just, he was. Um, surreal and funny not yeah. not relying on sort of outdated outmoded sort of stuff yeah that a lot of comedians did back then well the precursor uh, to uh michael mcintyre's and people like that he didn't go he, he, he didn't stand there and tell jokes he stood there and you know walked through you know situations stories. and stories and sang some songs yeah. you know famously did the mellow yellow didn't he and yeah um, stuff really. like that no really really kind I, of in the uh sort of Billy Connolly mould as yeah, well. Very, yeah, she just took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, very much very Billy Connolly. Very popular with uh, my uh, dad, my mum and dad, but my, certainly my dad at the time, he was a big fan of Dave Allen, yeah. Jasper oh, Carrot and Billy Connolly. Those three comedians kept him in one-liners for about two and a half to three years at least. <laughs> yep. 5th of January, uh, The Growing Pains of Adrian Mole started. Did you like uh, Adrian Mole? Did you read the books? Did well, you dig no, it? I used to get obviously a bit of... I had the same sir, same first name, didn't I? So people would be like, "Oh, Adrian Mole," and I suppose oh, surname Mills. It was oh, very, I uh, suppose, yeah. Did, but, so I, I got a, yeah. a distinct but I, was never, I, I, read the, I read the books, you know, and gigg- giggled at the measuring of the penis and everything bits and stuff like that. And, and but, I think I read the very first one, which is the is the growing pains, the first one, isn't it? I think no, it's just a secret diary. Oh, but yeah. Well, that, that's the one. I think I got it with a school. You remember when you used to do books for schools where you'd. You'd come back home, yeah, you'd yeah. tick the boxes, you'd put your two pound fifty in or whatever they cost. I got loads of stuff from Roald Dahl that way, and this was one of the ones on the list, so I got ended up getting that thing. Yeah. 
It was all right. I mean, yeah. the, the show was quite popular, wasn't it? it was, as as a con, you know, as a uh, adaptation of the books, they were all right. Apparently, but, yeah. it totally missed me. I have to say, I just wasn't into it at all. I think I watched them. Julie, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Roberts. Oh, she's in educating. Re- no, educating Rita. Oh yeah, Julie Roberts. Um, yeah, Julie Roberts. She was in it. <laughs> <laughs> she played his mum. <laughs> not, oh, not that Julie other... Roberts. Totally different Julie Roberts. Julie Rob. <laughs> Julie Robertson. <laughs> what's her name? She was in. Uh, she was in with. Uh, Oh, this is terrible, terrible podcasting. No, I've been doing it um, all day. I've had a real, it's like a proper part of my brain has been yeah. erased today. I think I've just been doing too much of the same is. thing over and over again. The, fe- the female comedian, uh, Victoria. Victoria Wood. Vic- Victoria Wood. She did loads of stuff with her. Julie. Julie. Was it not Julie Roberts? Oh, Hello What's Wall. Julie. She, she was in. You know the one I mean? Educating Rita. She played his mum, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And Shirley anyway. Valentine, she's in that. The, y- yes. Yeah. No. No, she's not in Shirley Valentine. Oh, That's someone completely different. Oh, I don't know then. I know, I know, I know. In my mind, I can see what she sort of looks like, and now it's all gone wrong. It'll come back to us yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere. Some, during, see during if you can remember before we get to the end. Yeah, sixth uh, of January, Inspector Morse, based on the books by Colin Dexter, debut on mm. ITV with John Thor. I was shocked that he was this, these were this early. I just didn't realize they were going for so long. Yeah, do you know? I thought the same thing because I thought I don't remember even hearing of them till the nineties. Yeah, um, exactly. So, and I don't know if I was getting them mixed up with something else, but... When you go back to a lot of these, a lot of these are really new things. Things like Midsummer Murders and all those kind of things mm. that came in on the back of it. All these, you know, adaptations of crime books. There's just loads of them and they go back ages. And But, you know, you know ITV3 is just wall-to-wall this sort of stuff, is isn't it? it? Is Morse the one that's uh, set in... Is it Oxford? Oxford. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought so. So I, I've, I've never watched it. I've seen bits of it. But it's got John Thor in it. I'm sorry, but John Thor is only ever going to be Jack Regan for me, from the Sweeney, and yeah, it will always be he that way. Sweet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, as you notice, they're Terry Strong as well. Yeah, what a cast in the Sweeney, you know. Absolutely, Jack Reagan, Jack Reagan and Terry Strong. Terry Strong, two, you know, hard-nosed Met cops mm. doing crazy stuff. I mean, nowadays, of course, not very popular subject of, in the great scheme of things, but... No, it's not, no. But no, um, it was no. a good TV show of its time. Well, no, was it good? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, 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 seem, to remember, I seem to remember liking it. I like the, seem to remember liking the films as well, because they were quite violent. They're very, very, very violent. But I'll tell you what, yeah. Morse was massively popular, wasn't it? I mean, I I, I never... Yeah. My mum loved it. She was always what She was glued to it. She never read the books, but she was really very into the TV show. She really liked John Thor because he was a bit of a... You know, I, I say housewives. That's a, such a terrible thing nowadays, terminology-wise. He was just a, I know what you mean. I know, yeah, I know what you mean. The, at the time, yeah. he was kind of very popular amongst a certain demographic. Yeah. He was a... You know, he was a... He was a handsome, handsome chap for that yeah. uh, that type of lady. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Seventh uh, of January, filthy rich and cat flap. So this is this was kind of the sort of pseudo unofficial whatever knock on effect of from the young ones, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. Same writer, same um, director. Yeah, written by Ben Elton. Yeah, uh, produced by Paul Jackson, but it never really got. I found it. It was. I remember watching it at the time and thinking it was quite funny, mm. but it seemed more in the mould of uh, what was the. Uh, uh, what was it? Oh God damn it! This is terrible, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, Bottom. Mr. Jolly lives. Ne- Mr. Jolly lives next door. Yes, yes. It's very much like the the comic strip. So wasn't it? it was their characters in this were more yes. like the characters in Mr. Jolly lives next door, which was the comic strip. Yes, the they best were. comic strip one. Yes, uh, by a country mile, as far as I was concerned. And yes. Mr. Jolly lives next door is astonishingly funny. And bad it's news, really yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, okay, the bad news one was all right, but it wanted Mr. Jolly lives next door. You know, with kill Nicholas Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> but but all eminently quotable, filthy rich and cat flap, because it's it's essentially three of the characters from the young ones, isn't it? You don't have Mike essentially, but you've got 
know, Rick, yeah, it's, Aid it's Rick, Edmondson. It's, it's Rick, and, Viv- Rick, Vivian and Mike, yeah. Yeah, um, Neil. Oh, it's Neil, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's Rick, Vivian and Neil. But Neil's playing different, very different character. Neil, he's not even called Neil, is he? But the guy that plays Neil, he's playing a very different character. Nigel Plainer. Of, yeah, Nigel Plainer's not playing a kind of hippie kind of character, hippie kind of character that he played in. And I think just the dynamics of the characters in that mold, just I think people were going into it expecting young ones and they got something completely different. They got more comic strip presents. I quite liked it. And, and I watched a, an episode for the podcast just to start. And I have to say, it just wasn't very funny. But then again, sometimes young ones wasn't wholesalely funny. It was of its very of its time. And this yeah. just missed they the mark. Would, I don't know why. They would be better when they came back with Bottom. Yeah. Because bottom is, bottom is way better. Well, they understood really what people liked, the parts about the relationship between Aid Edmondson's characters and Rick Mail's characters. Yeah, Rick Bless him and rest in peace, Rick Mail. Um, but the, the way the sort of dynamic where they're hitting each other a lot and the violence with each other, those are the things that people really responded to from yes. the young ones. And so, and that dynamic of them sort of hating each other but liking each other. And so they, they saw that and that's exactly what Bottom became yeah. is that and and more of it yeah. and more power to them. The live version of that and the fact, hilarious, by the way. And the fact that he was called um, Eddie Hitler. <laughs> yeah, no, pushing the boat out a bit. I don't think Ben Elton's <laughs> got anything it. to do with the uh, bottom, has he? I don't think he did. I think it's written by. No, I think they wrote Edmondson. it. I think, yeah, I was going to say. I think it was Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson wrote it. So I think by it. this point, I think Ben Elton's currency in that sort of market of comedy had started to tire a bit. Well, he went off, didn't he? And I think around this time, he started becoming. Um, Big author. I think Ben Elton at this. An author, yes. Yeah. So I think he, uh, Stark was his first yes, book. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, which, uh, which I remember reading in Lower Sixth. Mm. So that would have been about 89. So that yeah. would have come out not long after this. Yeah. So, and that was paperback. So he's gone off and he's different. He's yeah. gone off into and writing. He's a books. very good writer, Ben Allen. Let's just want to say that because he's Oh, yeah. I mean, I used, to like his, I used to like his stand-ups on uh, yeah. Friday Night Live. And not forget also that Ben Elton also, I think he wrote or co-wrote episodes or was part of something to do with Blackadder as well. So there's... Well, he came in and wrote, he started one. writing on Blackadder 2. Oh, okay. Which is when it changed, the character changed, because it was Rowan Atkinson and I think Richard Curtis, I think, who wrote the first series. Right. And Blackadder's character is very different, isn't he? He's more Weasley and more... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas in the second one, he became that, he became Blackadder as we know it, the, the, the you know, the wisecracking, yeah. you know, that, that character. And so that was, I think that's probably Ben Elton's yeah. effect on it. Yeah, and Ben Elton knows how to introduce funny side characters, which is exactly what he did in the young ones, and that's why you get a lot of that in. So, bl- yeah. you know, bl- ploppy sort of ploppy, and you know, <laughs> and all those other characters that you get in season two onwards from Blackadder. Blackadder, so, yeah, um, yeah. because they, you know, from that, I mean, I really like the first season, but like you say it's nowhere near as funny as the follow ones, and you have no, the, bish- the Bishop the baby, of Bath and Wells, the baby eating Bishop of Bath and Wells. <laughs> You're not getting charged out of your Blackadder. Gonna skip lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And Lord and Lady Whitehead. <laughs> She's hilarious in that. She's yeah. a very funny Filthy lady. Child. <laughs> <laughs> Swedes are a Swedes are a sin. Whatever it is. Oh, Carrots. You? Carrots look a bit like Ugh. <laughs> uh, Yes. Uh, anyway, Filthy Richard Catfoot came out. Uh, not a lot much more else happened for the rest of January. Not in TV <laughs> I line, did, did look. Yeah. Uh, but on the thirtieth of January. Uh, just as if a comment on what was going on in the in the uh, world at the time mm. in in the UK, Yorkshire becomes the second ITV region to launch a job finder service, mm. broadcasting for an hour after close down. Yeah, which was broadcast on their Oracle network. Yes, it was. It was the the it was the ITV version of CFAX, wasn't it? Got a spare bit of bandwidth, mate. Stick some text down it. You can have a service. Let's call it Oracle. There you go. That's what it. That's how it came call about. Call it Oracle. And let's get some jobs on there for people who don't have them. 
Because yeah. there was lots of them back in yeah. the 80s. There was a lot of them back in the 80s, and most of them were up late at night by the look of it, or would need to be. Yeah. Well, it would need to be, yeah. But you'd have to wait ages to apply, wouldn't you? You'd really have to like note, note it down quickly, because yeah. Oracle could change pages quite fast. Yeah, well, you could, uh, especially with pen and paper. Yeah. Well, I guess you could, yeah. But, you know, pausing it wasn't always great, was it? Pause <laughs> If you pause sometimes, got that little flicker, you'd be like, oh, what's yeah. that? Oh, what? oh, no, I can't read it. <laughs> That'd be really bad. I don't want to be a rat farmer. <laughs> <laughs> why did i apply for uh, that job i don't know why did you why did you that's it that's your tv let's uh let's move on into films we've only got three out this month it's a bit of a dry month this one i, I do apologize listeners i'm very sorry yeah, well, it makes uh, second of january though uh was the wraith not a film i'd even seen or come across until um this podcast it looks pretty interesting and you never really you must have seen the case the cover it was in every video oh, store back the in the case ages. yeah don't get me wrong i say it's so I saw the case and saw, but I'd never actually watched it. And I think it's no, because it's I, about a killer car, isn't it? So I just kind of no, no, no. That's what I always thought. So I, um, I've never watched this either for for reasons I just never. It never enticed me to rent it out. However, I am going to go watch it because I I clicked that I put in there a, a YouTube sort of commentary on it. Um, and you should go watch that and make your own choice up because I well, think it looks like first. a film you will get. Well. I, we, it's not gonna it who cares but if you watch it you're like okay it just looks like a film that will be good a good 80s cheese ball fest but it's also uh the guy who did the car chases and stuff was the guy who did the stunts for things like hooper and things okay. like that hooper. so it's got some yeah it's got some sort of you know technical chops behind it and some of the a lot of the actors went on to do other stuff it actually looks like quite a good cheesy and it's mm. a it's a weird film it's a, like a ghost story yeah yeah i sort of read the bit of in, uh, internet movie so database blurb what weirded me out a little bit was that um, it was one of those it's videos. Like it, Fenn, it? it never rented out. I remember yeah. when it, sorry, it's just one of those videos. It's like the Malagro Beanfield War. We just ended up with loads of sell-through <laughs> copies that nobody was. How we always ended up with like eight copies of certain films, and that was one of them. The Wraith was one we ended up with loads. The Manitow, for some reason, we had about four copies of that, and then oh, the, the Manitou. Yeah, and then the Malagro yeah, Beanfield yeah. War. We ended, always ended up with about nine copies of that. So yeah. But The Wraith, it's one of those, it, I think a lot of people will probably have missed it. I'm definitely going to go watch it because it yeah, looks yeah, like I'll a good laugh. I'll check it down. But uh, yeah, it looks fun. But I wish I could say more about it. it just, it just, It's one of them films that I just know a lot of people know of. Everybody's heard of it because it was a really cool cover, wasn't it? It was the uh, kind of like the sort of backlit guy in the suit with the car next to him. It looked a bit sort of sort of futuristic, like a cross mm. between Knight Rider and Street Orc. A bit Disney looking maybe, but we'll see. Certainly not. Anyway, 9th of January, mm-hmm. Heartbreak Ridge. Yes. <laughs> so this is the Clint Eastwood film, isn't it? Yes, it um, is. Based on the... It's, it's like the... Uh, is it, it's Military a tra- is it, camp, training camp. Is it yeah. part training camp and then they go off on a mission? Yeah, it's it's almost quasi uh, Full Metal Jacket style. Full Metal Jacket, yeah. A bit, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought, yeah. yeah. It's ages... I, th- I know I've seen this. I saw this back in the day, but I don't think I watched it for years. It's not super memorable. It's good. Clint Eastwood's good, isn't it? Yeah. Which Leatherface version of Clint is he in this? Um, he's leather-faced version. He's well, because his face goes gradually more and more leather, and it's kind of locked into. More, the, he, Clint we said this on it. It becomes more like a shoe. He does, he yeah, mo- yeah. So is he is he at moccasin style at this? Is he? Uh, well, is it, he, it, is he moccasin? Is he is he slip on? Has he got laces? You have to think because he goes through the, the many faces of Clint Eastwood. So he goes. If you think what he's like in High Plains Drifter, where he has no expressions, very few. <laughs> Apart from maybe a, where he looks, if you imagine looking at the sun and then looking at the camera, there's that kind of squint that he does. He does that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Then he later down, lot, then yeah. and obviously he's got a cigarette in his teeth or in his mouth, in the corner of his mouth. Later down the line, and um, when you get to the sort of the um, Dirty Harry movies, he kind of has more of an eyebrow raise. His face is 
learned to animate more, so he's got a little bit more animation. But he's by this time his skin's becoming like really thick leather. Um, and then as he gets older, his voice gets more gravelly, and his face becomes locked in one expression throughout most the whole movie. So he to express kind of outrage, he just leans back and to kind of goes. Eh. So he so he doesn't actually change his facial expression. He just you know moves in revulsion. Acts, acts, he's, he's acts via leaning. Yeah, he does. He does. It. I mean, and now I've said all this, you know, you, you think, you must be crazy. You know, this is Clint Eastwood talking about, but trust me, go and watch. And if you don't, and then go and watch some of the later movies he's made. And all Clint Eastwood movies have their own genuine greatness. And some of them are less great than others, but they're all pretty good. Potentially, you know, every which way but loose. Dead, well, is yeah, it dead heat? They're not, say, no. Some of them just so, No, sudden plastic. heat. S- sudden heat. Yes, yeah, so they're not all great. Not all of them, but they're not terrible. And but his face very rarely changes. Oh, sudden, sudden, death. sudden death, sudden sudden impact, sudden impact. Sudden I got the impact. Yeah. So some some are better. There is than a, others. What, what? But um, yeah. um, generally speaking, his Tight expressions. Rope. Yeah, that's, that's, not that's not good. That's terrible. Um, but <laughs> that said, but they're not in Clint Eastwood standards. They're all they're not the worst film in the world. His expressions no. don't really vary that much, and you can tell whether he's into the film or not because he allows himself more expression. So if he's quite into the character, like in Unforgiven. <laughs> He's quite a bit of leaning. There's quite a bit of you know wincing and expression. He's quite into that character. Heartbreak Ridge. He just kind of eh, does that and kind of you know that's it really. <laughs> there's very he's, he's mostly perpendicular. Yeah, yeah, he is. No, and no, but you can't be. You got to be. Too, you can't be too careful with uh, Clint Eastwood because he will find you and beat you up because that man can punch. How many films have you seen with him? He just punches. He's, he's a strong puncher, Clint Eastwood. Always there will be. He is a strong. He's a strong puncher. Yeah, um, I mean, there you go. He hangs around with an ape for real. You know? And that, that film is actually a documentary. Not, it's not, you know, Every Which Way But Loose is a documentary. That's his wife in it. That's true. It is his wife. And that monkey was their child, a very ugly child. And that adventure they go on is for real. That's a documentary. That's not, you know, which makes, one? There's two. Well, both there's of them. Every Which Way You Can and Any Which Way But Exactly. Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. And there's the, the third one that never got finished, which is No Which Way But Ever. <laughs> <laughs> which was to have and have not, to yeah. not and have to. <laughs> yeah. Every which way you can. Same writers going, right, what can we call this one? Every can, way, but you do, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're actually documentaries and uh, it's quite quite, quite a tragedy because that monkey got beaten up by an old lady for hiding some um, tampons. Anyway, that's a whole different story in Clint Eastwood's life. <laughs> Where did that come from? That's, that's true. It's all, That's a true fact. <laughs> okay. From the perpendicular Clint. <laughs> We go to uh, Ramirez. Oh, oh yeah. Ramirez. Because uh, we've got 23rd of January, we've got the name of the rose. Yeah. Um, which is... You never watched this? No, never, uh, never interested me. The, the tagline... It is a very good film. The, no. In. It is. <laughs> not trust for me. me. It's, re- it's a really good film. An intellectually nonconformist friar does not sell me anything. It's... Right. It's uh, it's uh, Sean Connery and no, that's Christian Slater... F. Murray Abraham, um, yeah. and basically these people um, are getting killed at uh, this monk yeah. station. Or a, an f- abbey. Whatever, a friary. An abbey. <laughs> a monk <laughs> for a station. Monk station. <laughs> now, if they'd have called it that, I might have watched it. <laughs> the name of the monk station. <laughs> anyway, at this monk station, uh, some of the uh, monks are getting knocked off. Mm. And so killed. Sean Connery is like a medieval who, you know, Sherlock Holmes, essentially, um, who goes in to try and figure out what's what's being done? And Christian Slater is his uh, is novice. I guess the word is. Right. Um, and obviously, there's all kinds of crazy shenanigans going on at the at the monk mm. station that he has to look into and, and find out why it's all going on. And it's based on the novel by Umberto Eco, 
Um, oh it is a very, very good film. It really is. I, re- I have a lot of time for uh, Name of the Rose. I'm never going to watch it. Quality film. It's one of my favourite uh, Connery performances. Right. I have that's to say. Because he's now, he's another actor. He's another, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. We've gone from... One or two <laughs> kind of variations <laughs> of John Connery. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> this is just a bit more ye olde. It's ye olde uh, Connery. Ye olde Connery. So, <laughs> so there's, are his uh, eyebrows going from corner to up or up to sort of round no they're actually they're uh, they're in the shape of a cross oh, cause if you <laughs> just think... for the uh, just for the re- religious uh, overtone well you think of his eyebrow shape in uh, highlander and then compare that to his eyebrow shape in zardoz one of like <laughs> one's got wolf eyebrows the other look like they've been drawn on bananas i, I, I mean I, I, that's was wasn't what i was looking at in zardoz <laughs> <laughs> it was his man nappy <laughs> his <Hey>. mappy <laughs> now don't you go all apathetic on me <laughs> I couldn't help it that big mappy he was wearing there's an entire sequence in that film where people wave their fingers in his face for five minutes people just go <laughs> but the talk of man anyway Name of the Rose is a good film you should watch it but the talk of mappies and man nappies has led me to something I'd just like to call back on because we've had some information oh. on, on something we've discussed on a previous episode and that is Bowie's Bulge ah and so from Rumwick Forum, one of our listeners, um, who I think follows us on Twitter, on Facebook as well, but Unofficial Who has given us this info from something from cutprintfilm.com. So it's about um, Bowie's bulge. Okay. And so I'll just quote it here, that working under the studio lights tends to get pretty hot, especially when wearing layers and a giant stifling wig. So Bowie, in an attempt to alleviate any smell emanating from his nethers, stuffed yeah. potpourri into his trousers to combat sweaty butt crack syndrome. So in all seriousness, Bowie's attempt at selflessness gave us the greatest cinematic bulge this side of anything in Magic Mike. God, that's... that's... So what you're seeing swinging around there is actually potpourri. Popa Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Who fills their tights with potpourri? <laughs> I don't know. I've not, I've not, I've not fact checked this and source checked it. I'm just going to go on the fact thingy, but I'm, I'm hoping this is true. That it's just, I mean, you know, there's facts and things in there that you just need to break down a bit. And the one that David Bowie had a smelly ass crack under lights <laughs> or otherwise. But, I mean, I never. But maybe that. it wasn't his. Maybe maybe it wasn't his ass crack. He was worried about smelling. Maybe it's a bit like he'd, you know, he'd been, you know, a bit busy with his man the night the night before and oh, got a bit God. of a got a bit of a. Oh. You know, I don't, you what know, do you call that? Yeah, love I, I stink. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that in that by the B fifty twos? Love stink, baby love. I mean, stink. if his if his nether regions are so waffy, whether from sex or from self pleasure or whatever, that you need to. I mean, why potpourri? That's just. I mean, because it smells nice. I know, but it's, it would clearly bulk out the area. So as we saw, it did. Yeah, I know, but why shove it there if he's got a? You know, you, you could put it underneath. You could. There's ways you could do it. You could just get a spray. You don't need to bulk yourself out with crushed flowers that smell and plus that's the sort of thing i mean i'm thankfully i'm not a potpourri person because i know there are people out there who are but that kind of that could put you off it for life but jennifer connelly will never she's banned potpourri in her house (laughs) it just brings back all kinds of flashbacks yeah because can you imagine i mean she she essentially stood in front of david bowie in tights with potpourri down his trousers while he jiggled crystal balls in her face (laughs) and she's probably going what have you been doing What smells like that? I really want to know what no, smell he is now. It's midnight mist, dear. Now move on. Just reminds me of the Simpsons. It smells funny in there. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I think he would. Uh, I wonder what smell he would have chosen. Midnight Garden or no something something with an eloquent name. They know. always had names like that. Those potpourri's, didn't they? What's El- Elderflower Delight? Well, no, because you weren't allowed to actually have an, an actual smell in there. So it wouldn't, even though it was made of flowers and crushed things. You say, what does that smell like? Oh, it smells like moon dust and. 
They have oh, tequila sunrise. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but no, if he smelled like tequila sunrise, I mean, that would have made more sense. But uh, uh, I, don't I don't know. know. What would he smell of? Well, um, a man Bowie's beef curtains, by your description. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, or whatever. But that doesn't. I'm just saying. I'm just thinking. You know, because <laughs> I can't understand why he would have the um, why you know why he would have the uh, the potpourri at the front end if he's if he's worried about the back end. No, I don't get it, and I never will. <laughs> So there you go. I thought that was a, a worthy addition to the end of our film section of this, and I thought I thought you would uh, you would like to know that. Yes, and now I feel burdened. <laughs> <laughs> I had to share <laughs> a problem. A problem shared is a problem halved, as they yeah, say, or as I like to say, a problem shared makes everyone miserable. That too. <laughs> <laughs> and on that sweet smelling note, <laughs> oh so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to end our film and TV coverage for 1987. And we'll be back after this short break with the last lot of games. There is a crap vert coming up as well. Uh, so please do a sweetly stick around. Shout out to our amazing show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com. Let's have another listen to a sample from his great audiobook, The Case of the Notorious Roboticist, read by the delightful Nikki Delgado. You're the private dick your brother gives tech to, the only reason you've ever cracked a case. Without them, I doubt you could crack a walnut. Marotz hid the fact that stung just a little. You're more comfortable stroking a machine than a woman, aren't you? He looked at the sign. Ruling the world, huh? I don't even think you rule the bedroom. Elvin's old eyes glimmered. Do any men these days? Did she hire you to spy on me? She tried to. I said no. So now you know that she knows. Elvin paused as Marotz retreated. I'll be more careful from here. Why are you helping me? Marotz turned around and walked back to his ship. Never mind. Time to be a good boy now. Grey in hair, devil in ribs. I know, I know, you want to know what happens? Well, visit DavidHernWriter.com to find out more. Hello. Yes, we're back. We've got five more games in this section. Um, and one of them is, a, is something different. We've got something different than what we normally do. Uh, we'll get to that at the, at the last one. So a bit of a surprise coming up. Let's see what's going on, though, because first of all, Graham, um, I don't know. What are you going to tell us different about our first game, the £8.95 version of Donkey Kong? Well, I can tell you, not a lot, um, <laughs> because it's Donkey Kong. This is a bizarre little thing really now first let's just say it's a donkey kong arcade conversion and as a donkey kong arcade conversion it's pretty good as all the sights all the sounds the animations the graphics not a complicated arcade to particularly to convert well i say that no. i mean I, I don't, it's an actually quite an accurate conversion if a little bit over difficult but the arcade was always quite difficult anyway so it's donkey kong you have to you know make your way up the up to the top of the tower jumping over the barrels doing what you, everyone knows what donkey kong is all about it's not don't really need to go into the plot lines of it. And of course, it's got, we all know it's got Jumpman slash Mario, whatever in it. We all know that. So, this is a ocean version of it or an ocean licensed version of it. I'm pretty sure they've thrown their kind of stalwart programmers at this to create it. It's, I think it's John Woods is behind this, or one of the people behind it is John Woods. Um, he did. It's, uh, I think it's Arcana, isn't it? Yeah, it's Arcana. I think he's yeah. just a producer. Yeah, but that's what I mean. They've just thrown the team that made 
you know x amount of games so it's made by a team of people that have made this sort of stuff loads so is in terms of its development it's just they've taken the arcade and made a version of it you know by, by the numbers yeah so there's, there's nothing really you can add to it if you like donkey kong as an arcade and you like that kind of you know like that game the sort of very early platform type game well you'll like it because it's donkey kong it controls like donkey kong it sounds like donkey kong it plays a donkey kong just does it have a place now at the beginning of 1987 um is it a bit late in the day to be releasing this should this have not have been released and maybe it was released i think maybe i'm not sure if this is a re-release or a, a release of so i'm not sh- quite sure how a bit like the previous crystal castles i don't quite know how or why or where the conversations took place that enabled this to become something right now and for it to be reviewed in zap right now for us to have played it right now but it's donkey kong and you either like donkey kong or you don't it's an important game of its own right in terms of the arcade this is just another version of it of which there are hundreds of versions of different versions of revisions of different stuff different graphics different iterations of this they're all over the shop so this is just another one it adds nothing more to the donkey kong world other than the novelty of having it on the commodore 64 so i have no opinion on it um the zap review was actually kind of in the 60s i think which sort of makes sense it's okay it's it's an okay conversion there's nothing terrible about it but it's donkey kong (laughs) what about you i mean what can you say about it yeah, it's, it, see, there's weird things about this because this is the second version of, an actual second ori- official version of Donkey Kong. There was an Atari soft version in 1983, um, but there's other ones as well. But more in, more important, there was a, something called Kong 64 in 1983 by Annie Rogg as well. The weird thing is, this comes from Ocean, um, but in 1985, Ocean had released uh, Kong Strikes Back. Weird. They And I remember we had that. We had the original of that. My brother had bought that. It's one of the originals I remember having because I remember that cover when I saw it. And that was a strange game. And just looking at some screenshots, you kind of go around tracks in it. So for a year and a half later to come back and sort of do a port of the original. And it just seems it just seems weird and out of place. It's like I can't, I can't get my head around who would think, yeah, let's just put this out. You know, let's just mm. do this. Six, six years. I mean, even in the review in the magazine, Julian Rignall says, you know, this is this is getting on a bit now. Mm. <laughs> so it's, you know, that, that comes to something when they're saying, God, this is a bit old. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's quite it's spot on because it was 1981. This is six years later, mm. five, six years later. It just seems weird. Um, but, you know, the price it is, was it's weird. a decent... Yeah, because eight ninety five. Should have been, well, should have been one ninety nine. This has one ninety nine written all over it. Surely. Well, that's what I've put. I said, apart from it, it's a decent conversion of the original game because it should be. It's on better hardware. It looks and sounds like Donkey Kong. And if this was your only way to play Donkey Kong, then yeah, okay, mm-hmm. you're gonna play it. You might get some enjoyment out of this. But and I've noted here, just as we said, this should have been a budget release all day long. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it should have been farmed out to a given to Mastertronic, two quid Donkey Kong whatever us gold um, probably but, should have pushed it out yeah someone should have done that but this seems like you know we see this with nintendo a lot and we mm. see it still to this day where they charge high price for old games mm. um and so it seems like maybe the ocean where they they weren't you know yeah yeah you can do a conversion of it but you're charging full price yeah because it's donkey kong you know this heritage this is important game you want it you know, you got, you know you're gonna have to pay and so maybe they paid a lot of money for the license to do it and so to actually recoup some of that they had to had to be full price yeah um okay. i don't know because it's it's a weird thing i don't know what that the 83 atari soft version is whether that's licensed properly or whether it's a conversion from another another version of it i don't know but this just seems completely out of place but if you like Donkey Kong, it's a it's a solid version of it. I mean, I'm not a massive Donkey Kong aficionado, so no, you know some people will tell me that oh well, no, it's not quite good. It's this and that. I did uh, laugh my head off at the uh, title screen though, which oh, looks God. like um, because if you look at it and I put it in the uh, notes, um, 
just imagine what's missing in the in, between the, the the monkey and Pauline. <laughs> I don't want to imagine that. That's terrifying. <laughs> all I'm hoping is that there's some potpourri down there. <laughs> there is. That, that's all I can hope because a bit of midnight pretty, mist, uh, and that would explain Mario's expression on the other side. <laughs> I'm Trouble is, post this picture. You have to like just go go into the sort of the graphics because they're the, they're the only things that are differentiating this from any other version. I mean, you look at the how many versions of this, this there are just on the because it's think it's it must be available for every in some version whether it's this version or other. Every single console on earth must have a version of this game at some level. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah so i don't know i don't understand i don't get why this came out when it did i don't understand it makes very little sense to me but you know here we are gave it 60 percent. it's donkey kong i tell you what though i tell you what what it's a lot better than the next one (laughs) (sighs) jesus christ yeah move let's let's move on into that next one Okay, so this was a pound more. This is nine pound ninety five. This nine pound a pound more and half the score, thirty percent. Good. This is Bazooka Bill. I keep writing this a lot at the start of some of these reviews, and I've just written, "What the hell is this?" Mm. Because if you're gonna rip off Green Beret, then you better do it well, and and this does it awfully, awfully. Um, I'm not even sure what Melbourne House were thinking here. I don't even know what anybody was thinking that was involved in the making of this. So the plot, as such as there is, you see uh, Blocky Bill, rather than Bazooka Bill, sent off on a mission to rescue General MacArthur from some nefarious revolutionary group. <laughs> this all sounds very bizarre. Bill runs slowly along, punching anything that comes near him, which happens to be a hi- hyperactive enemies hepped up on goofballs. It's oh, yeah. crazy what goes on on this screen. I, I didn't have any idea how to progress. Supposedly you have to find the right position in the landscape. Yeah. And... I, I couldn't find it. There's no indication of where or what this is. Supposedly ladders warp you to different places. Yeah, um, sure Again, d- no idea. The graphics are inept. Why is Bill's fist so massive when he punches? Because unlike Green Beret, so you all know Green Beret. Green Beret, you run along, you, you know, you stab people, people come running at you. It's nice and smooth. This has none of the subtlety of that. It's just a... Uh, it, it, I, at first, I thought my... Because um, I was running on an emulator. I thought the emulator had gone mad. I thought I was running it in warp mm. mode. Um, and I realized I wasn't. And it wasn't. This is actually how it was. So I looked at a video, and, and that's just how it is. But you usually get about three or four people. There's multi, you know, there's like Green Beret. There's two layers up and down. Enemies coming left and right, charging on it. Yeah, you can punch them. At one point, you can pick up a knife. Um, why, when you throw the knife, do you stop? And it's just, it just all awfulness. Um, why does this fist get so massive when he punches? Don't know. Why? I don't understand. What? Wait, this is a. It's an awful, awful misfire of a nightmare. Um, that you know, just I just thought needed taking around the back and shooting because this is there's nothing good about this. The music's nope. horrendous. The graphics are terrible. It plays awfully. There's no feedback. It's just random hyperactive nonsense. And it made me really quite angry because we've spoken about how much we like Green Beret in previous episode. When it, when we're looking at it, you know, we're big fans of that. If you're gonna knock it off, you know, nearly a quite a few months later. If you're going to do it, you better do it right. If you're not, then don't bother. You know, do, you know, Go home and stop it. You've done a very bad thing, and this is a very, very bad thing. Bad Zuka Bill. Bad. Um, so were you any... <laughs> did you get anything from Krabuka Bill? Whatever. I thought this game was utter shit. Yes. Um, and yeah. I think it was so badly flawed that it, it beggars belief that uh, Melbourne House even looked at this. But they have a bit of a weird 
penchant for hyperblocky games because it reminded me yeah. of Street Hassle. It reminded me of other games of this. Mm-hmm. Asterix was another one of theirs, I think, which was kind of super blocky and I suppose will probably come across more. Um, it's so bad it's infuriating this game. You know, even if you put aside the fact that the controls are stupid, the enemies are repetitive in the background loop in such an annoying way that you think it's just the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, they loop that badly at one point that it just started halfway through the background. So it's it's not even like they've been, there's no care or thought in any of it. The main wow. sprites such as they are are super, supremely blocky. All variants of exactly the same thing in exactly the same patterns coming on exactly the same way. And like you say, the logic is out the window, so you stop to throw a knife. There are other weapons, although I didn't actually find any on my play brief plate in time with it. The music is a weird, almost oriental blend of twiddly nonsense. I just none of it makes any sense. And it does not, there's no cohesion. There's no thought. What I think this is, in reality, is they had a little bit of a game engine that made people run across the screen and you could punch. That's mm-hmm. as far as they ever got with it. And then they just said, well, release that then. You know, if that's all you've got. Yeah. And I remember reading in the um, Ocean book, I think it was the Ocean book, about the fact that some of these publishing companies had a real job chasing some of these young programmers f- to finish their games because some of them were made by, you know, essentially 16, 17, 18 year old, you know, kids, teenagers, essentially. And they'd been paid, you know, uh, a um, progress payment or, uh, you know, some money up front to get the game done. And then they just dragged the heels and just produced utter rubbish. And then, you know, what are you going to do about it kind of thing? And this may very well be an example of that. But my worry is that they do seem to have a bit of a history of it at Melbourne House. So I don't know. This should not, shouldn't have been released. It sh- it's unfinished. I'm pretty sure it's unfinished. And if it is finished, then I don't know what level of um qa has been going on but not anything i'd recognize this is out almost like the firebird camp of qa it's terrible awful awful game this shouldn't, it shouldn't be released and zap really as we've said before instead of pasting these games or giving them a hard time or you know and i suppose they're acting like a warning to say don't buy this because unless you know really like running around in blocky world you know punching inconceivably at stuff um this is nothing here for you and i suppose that there is that warning that at least you wouldn't go buy it by accident so maybe that's why they do it. Because I've often thought, well, if it's th- below a certain percentage, why give it so much time? Why not just have a list of games on the front of the epi- on the front of the issue that says, these games are shit, don't buy them. But I suppose they can't really do that. Wouldn't really be impartial. Would I it? think th- the interesting is, is like, I'm just having a quick look at uh, l- looking at this on, um, on Lemon64. And someone's posted the review scores from other magazines. And CNVG gave this 9 out of 10. They cannot have played it. And your Commodore gave it 8 out of 10. So I think it's quite good that Zap come in with its thirty percent because there's the there's well, the reality. The, yeah, but that's funny you say that because um, I seem to remember a time these are the same two magazines that gave Fist Two a really good review, and other yeah, Melbourne yeah. House products really good reviews. So you know, let's just leave that there in the cauldron and let that boil away because I'm. It seems odd to me that Zap were being very truthful about these awful games because Bazooka Billy's crap. There's no way around that. Fist Two had some redeeming qualities, but this is crap. And yes, for awful. them to give it nine out of ten or you know a high percentage rating in this magazine, tell me that they've they've been given a backhander. There's a brown envelope with some cash in it somewhere for somebody because there's no way you could review that on, in, with your hand on your heart and say it's anything other than shit. And at least at least I'd had you know the wherewithal to zap zaz. At least zap had the wherewithal to do that. So that's a ninety percent sizzler. It's outrageous. You know. That it's not. It's just crap. So and it's it's not even no, There's no novelty value to it. Just another game that shouldn't be on there. Don't play that one. We know there's a few actually in this episode that are just total January avoids. You know what? Dry, go for yeah. dry January with these ones. Don't bother. <laughs> Indeed, this is. I couldn't get my head around it. No, 
it just seemed so weird playing it. It was just, I guess it was like, like I, was, I couldn't physically understand what I was what I was looking at. I had a friend whose job was to um, post Saturday night, so Sunday morning, go around and he used to work for British Telecom and he used to go around all the phone boxes and clean out all the condoms and spunk that was in them. That was his job. He was the spunk cleaner. We used to take the piss out of him for being a, a spunk cleaner. That's his job. He was a spunky pee. Spunk. Spunky pee. He was spunky pee. That was his job. He was, the, you know, we, we big bottle of detergent, rubber gloves, go around wiping off spunk from the phone boxes of Cleethorpes and Grimsby and whatnot. I would argue that playing this game is worse than that job. <laughs> so that's how bad it is. Is this a bazooka spill? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> he saw things, that guy. He had a thousand yard stare from the age of 12 or 13, but developed over time into something quite. He ended up going in the army, actually, that run, that late run, I think. It affected him, that, that job. It changed it him. It affect anyone. Like this game, like playing this game for extended amounts of time would yeah, affect anyone. Exactly, yeah. You're gonna just you're gonna learn to hate and that's how it you know, there's probably serial killers that start their long journey to murder <laughs> by playing Bazooka Bill at some point. Quite possibly. I hated it. It was awful. Yep. Terrible. It? Yep. Nope. Really awful. dreadful. Crap. Crapola. Yep. Yeah. Bazooka. Uh, bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> bazooka spill. Ew. <laughs> It's a cack spill. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, wouldn't it be great if a really great arcade conversion came along next? It would be. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. It's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. So so um, let's move along to our next one. Graham, have you been gallivanting around Gallivan? <laughs> Gallivan. Now, this was odd because uh, it's not one I'd heard of at all, um, arcade-wise or... Um, in the, the C64. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really, really cool Wakelin advert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncredited, but yeah, Bob Wakelin, great stuff. Not complaint there. Game itself, though. Yeah. Um, so in this... I think it was a Wakelin one. This, this is an arcade conversion. The arcade was created, but it's a, Jap- a Japanese, real Japanese arcade, this one. So it's mm-hmm. actually called Cosmo Police Gallivan, the arcade. Um, and it's a shoot 'em up um, slash... It reminded me of another game of this type, but it's kind of a mixture between run and, run and jump kind of logic so um, there's a couple of games that come later like that but you're kind of running and jumping and you get into sort of metal suits and shoot lasers and you're coming sort of climbing around a sort of i want to say caves but inside a kind of environment where you kind of you can leap up on ledges and platforms and sort of move around kind of a kind of a big environment to sort of scroll on so it's a bit like the inside of uh, nodes of yes odd but a bit more speedy freeform yeah a bit more freeform and scroll and it scrolls yeah it scrolls around it's it's quite yeah it's quite nice the actual mechanics of the game are quite nice because the arcade's quite nice so um, the arcade is essentially you play a little, a little you know, cos- you know, a cosmo policeman or, or, or whatever they call it. It's all, uh, I think you're a space sheriff. I can't remember what you are anyway. But the actual uh, inspiration of these things, it's it's uh, the Japanese name for it is a toku satsu, which is a, a particular kind of live action film with special effects in. So think Godzilla. Um, and so those kind of shows are supremely popular in Japan or were probably still are. And Cosmo Police was one of those, or Space Sheriff Gavan and Space Sheriff Sharivan were two. And this is based upon that. So man runs around, but can power up into a suit. When he's in the suit, he can shoot lasers and punch enemies and do all of that. So you you're, uh, you take on the role of the Cosmo Police and you've got to run around this, this sort of landscape on the planet Kynep, or Sinep, Sinep, um, running around and sort of trying to jump over and avoid or punch or, or fight the enemies. Um, on your quest to kind of run around. Now, I wasn't sure exactly beyond running around and trying to find the boss, which I think you're supposed to do, what else mm-hmm. you do. But you'd, as I worked my way through the game and went further down, I was able to find the suit. When I got the suit, I had a bit more power. Everything takes your life off you in this game. So eventually, if you run out of energy, you're dead. 
So you've got to try and jump about and be careful with that. But once you get the suit, you get a little bit more power. And so you kind of work your way around this kind of maze, jumping over things, avoiding things, landing on platforms, running about. Um, so the arcade version looks quite nice, plays quite well. C64 version is, it's like all of the really refined bits of the arcade have been removed. So on your left with kind of the basics. So there's a basic looking Galavan character running about. Not so many enemies, but what are there are kind of blocky and float about. Some of them bounce you in a really annoying way. So you can't, you seem to have to just jump over them. What the hell are you supposed to do? Uh, and so you sort of, really, you sort of, I was hankering to try and find the suit as quick as possible because trying to punch these things and fight is pretty crap in this game. The music is really annoying in this, in the C64 version. Not like that in the arcade, but yeah, in the, yeah. in the, this is really annoying. And the graphics were kind of blocky. The background graphics are actually okay, but quite repetitive. But they're okay, but the sprites themselves are a bit chunky. Not as chunky as Bazooka Bill, but a bit chunky on the chunky side. Um, so it just felt like it's everything that the arcade isn't. Because the arcade's got loads of really fun stuff, exciting sounds, really nice graphics, loads of logic, loads of fun stuff too. It's not a, there's big levels in this. But you no, know, but the, you, you find the boss, you, and I think it's two bosses in the arcade, and then I think it just repeats. But it's kind of a, that kind of game. Mm -hmm. So this, it just lacks in it lacks the parts of the arcade which make it interesting. So because it doesn't have enough or any of those things, and because it's kind of monotonous and a bit dull, the game loses all of its arcade flavor that would have been there. And without those things, it's just you running around a kind of cave, avoiding what looked like sort of monocolor, um, middle medium res monks. Um, <laughs> They're weird, aren't they? Yeah, and some of them just really hard to avoid. So yeah, yeah. after a while, you're just like, what am I doing? And I think that's as far as I got. This is an Imagine uh, release, Imagine Arcade yeah. license release. This is Grant Harrison and Kevin Grieve who made this. So that's Mr. V and Savage and Underworld and Mr. Super Bowl 20 at the helm. So people who know how to make a game, and I think on, I'm no, not sure you, what... You missed, that, you missed that View to a Kill there. Yeah, there's View to a Kill, but they, you know, with the exception of that one, they do know how to make games. There's no doubt about that. I'm, and I'm not sure what went wrong here. And I have a funny feeling it's either time, so time ran out, or they weren't given enough time, or they simply, the machine, the Commodore 64, was simply overwhelmed by what they were trying to do in terms of converting that arcade. It's not that it's an amazing arcade, but there's a lot of detail in it, which isn't in this. I'm yeah. guessing that they've had to scale it right down to the, what is essentially just a guy running around. Um, and what baffles me a little bit, I think they've... I don't know. That, uh, it's just, that's as much as I could get from it because it's not a really... 53% is about right for this because it's slap back in the middle of... It's neither crap, super crap like Bazooka Bill, but it's not any good either. So it just sits in that kind of middle. If you I imagine if you maybe you like the arcade, you might like it. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. This is a, a game I, I knew of um, because I sort of kept, seeing the, kept seeing the advert everywhere um, back then, but I never played. So it's not something I'd ever played, and I was completely unaware. I never played the arcade. I don't think the arcade... I'm not even sure if the arcade ever came out in the UK. It's, it's like not it. something I've seen anywhere. Um, so it may have done, but probably not where we were. But if, you know, it's not something I was aware of. So it wasn't never a game that I was... It was kind of just came and kind of came and went, and it never made a big splash with us. It's it's the thing, isn't it? Because it feels like, um, you know, prototype... You were saying there's like the Godzilla films. It's like the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, that sort of idea, uh, yeah. Because it's the per, you know person in because the main sprite is really weird. Uh, yeah. The guy, it's like he's got a, a little sort of. It's like I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, can't, I was trying to sort of just, sort of describe it. Um, Mega it's, Man. It's like he's, yeah, yeah, Mega Man, but it looks like he's got like a a little blue sort of rubber suit on. I can't. I don't know. It looks very weird. And then when he starts shooting and it, it, it those enemies that come towards you are, are odd. They're like I don't know mole men. 
Mm. It's all very peculiar and bizarre, and I th- and I think you're spot on when you say they've because they've kept the the the, the arcade structure. Mm. Which is that big, one big open level. Yeah. Because if you watch a play through the arcade, it just seems like one big open level that you just yeah. make your way through and repeat and rinse and repeat. And this, they've kept that. So they've kept the level design. But in keeping that level design and having to have it all in memory and all resident and everything there, everything else has had to be paired back to the bone. Mm. Um, and so there's, you know, there's not a lot of uh, space for decent sprites. There's not a lot of space for decent music. There's, it's like the level is everything and everything else is kind of like, oh, we need to fit these in as well. And so it's it just sits in this weird middle ground of it's kind of okay and you kind of just, you know, but weirdly, like unlike a lot of arcades, so like Ghost and Goblins, like Green Beret, like those kind of arcade games, th- this would have been, you know, uh, and a sort of comment of the arcade as well, I guess, sort of thing. We, you know, it, it needs levels. It needs to be structured a bit more. Mm. It's just a big open area yeah. that you just sort of wander about with no sort of no real knowledge of am I going in the right direction? Oh, it's changed to green backgrounds. Oh, it's changed to blue backgrounds. So there's no real sort of sense of progression. And and uh, you're right. I mean, I'm looking at some screenshots now. The, but the backgrounds, the rocks and stuff, the textures, you know, the actual sprites, the character design, whatever the back is actually quite nice. The backdrops and things, but it just feels a little, you know, even what the arcade looks kind of gets by on its. Because um, it's the same design, but it gets by on its kind of like its uh, its arcadeness, should we say? So it's got lots of pretty graphics. It's got lots of booms and shaking and lots going on, and it's all yeah. nice and pretty. And the sprites are good, and so you're playing it, and you're getting a lot of kinetic feedback in that way. You take away all of that, and you realise that the gameplay is just a yeah. real bit drab, and that's what you're left with here. When you strip away all the frippery, yeah. you're left with a you know a, a, a drab you know galibland. Um, yeah, yeah. I think is is probably where I'd go. So it's not terrible. I think you smack on fifty three percent. Yeah, nine you know nine quid, maybe a bit much really though, isn't it for yeah. for what you know it's they've obviously paid much. for the license and they need to get it get it, get yeah. the cash back. But it's just a, a neither here nor there game. And the the worst thing is about in this epi- <laughs> in this episode and this issue, it's probably one of the better ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely um, no. Because I mean, at least it's, it's not crap. No, it's not crap, but it's just it's a, sh- it's a shadow of the actual game it's trying to be, and because it's a shadow of that game, like all shadows, with the exception of Hank Marvin, um, it's <laughs> not really any good. It's just it's just like a, it's just like playing a sort of like a um, like a cover disc version of it. Of it. Like it's like yeah. like it's not all there. <laughs> it's like when you walk into when we used to walk into Tate's and they had the cover tapes on and it, you're like this isn't uh, yeah this isn't that song yeah 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 exactly. what it's, is this it's almost yeah it's nearly it's a nearly version so yeah it's a nearly version everything's been stripped away and you realise actually it's not that great underneath shame but anyway at least I got to play it I'd always wondered what it was yeah. Well, that's it. It's Galavan, and it's an. Is it Nichi Butsu? Is the company that made that? Uh, well, it's Nichi Butsu or Nihon Busan. Yeah. Where we uh, say it. I think, I think I think one's owned by the other or something like that. So the design is by Nichi Butsu and the copyright is. Ni- I think the parent company is Nihon Busan. Yeah, well, it's not a company I've known. You know, it's not. Oh, that company, the one that made it. You know, it's not ever going to happen. That's now. what I mean. It's, it it, it seems like a really weird license to go and get. Yeah. You yeah. know, who is crying out for a conversion of Galavan? Well, no one. So I wonder if it's a bit of legacy. Maybe it was a. You know, who knows that? Maybe it was hanging around in a cupboard somewhere, and they thought, oh, "What's this?" <laughs> Someone make this. Yeah, get that guy who did V. He'll do it. Yeah. Uh, give it to him. Anyway, there you go. That's Galavan. So let's, let's Galavant off. And let's head out into the darker depths of space for our next game. So our next game is one of the big ones. Well, it's the, one of the better ones in this, in this episode. This is Nuclear Embargo. 
Uh, it's got 85% uh, and is a, a tenor of your Earth money. So what we have here is another multi-type game. Uh, so it comes another multi-type game comes under the radar. Um, and I was quite surprised because in concept, this really reminded me of what we played last week, which was Assault Machine. Yeah, yes, very. Um, so it's weird that we get two in, you know, two very similar sort of multi-part mm. sort of thing, type of these sort of things. So... Um, Let's roll back. So what we got, so what's going on here? So the Earth is struggling for fuel far into the future in about the 25th century or whatever. Uh, and we are being held ransom by Rail the Perverse. Damn him. <laughs> Who presides over Saturn and its moons, which houses all the precious uranium-235. Oh, it doesn't. In the solar system. <laughs> Go with me here. Go with me. Because <laughs> uh, the Earth is now reliant on, uh, and has been for four centuries, We've used to use uranium two three five to power everything, um, and so the only place we can get it in the in the solar system is from the moons of Saturn. Of but Rail, uh, who's the uh, you know who's the uh, many 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 grandson down of Rail the Great or whatever he was, the first king, who said, "Yeah, okay." Rail the Perverse goes no, and he demands a hundred Earth people of his own choice for well, reasons. experiments. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Um, and if we don't if we don't give him him. Then I'm sorry, there's no more uranium two three five. I don't mean so to that's be mean, the plot. but hundred isn't a lot yeah. on a planet of seven and a half billion. No, a thousand. Still not a lot. Well, give, it, give him a thousand people. Of, <laughs> it is if you're one of those thousand. Well, we'd have to give him the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to give him then? Maybe, but it's no, no, no. Remember, it's of his choice. Uh, that's what I mean. He's, He's not going to choose the bad ones, is he? Well, we don't know. It depends how we market them. Anyway, it's a whole separate issue. <laughs> Anyway, so Earth is facing utter ruin, uh, but is unable to agree to this. Because, so, you know, it's going to be starvation, end of civilization, we know it, cats and dogs living together, all that kind of stuff. So the Earth decides to, to uh, take the, in our normal way, take the uh, uranium-235 by force. This sounds similar to maybe real-world conflicts that may be going on, but is in no way a parallel to. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, a bit. But, you know. I'm not. I'm not getting into the politics of this, but you know, you make your own choices up around that. So, uh, so that's that's the plot. That's the backstory. So, what this is is you are sent off as Jimmy number one or pilot number one or whatever you are. Um, you're the star pilot, and you are sent off to the moons of Saturn to scan them and basically, you know, half inch the any kind of uranium two three five you can find lying around in barrels, and that's what this is. So um, off you go. You set off there. And so this game starts off, and it's quite minimalist in a lot of ways. Um, so it starts off with what you basically see is a 10 by 10 grid, and you've got lots of stats down the side. And the main important one of that is energy. So you start in the top left of the grid. Um, so you've got 10 by 10, and you can move to any – you basically you move your joystick across. You've got a cursor. You pick a grid, and you press a fire button, and you travel to that square. Um, further you go, the more energy it costs. So within some of these squares, there will be either a small circle or a big circle. Uh, the big circles are the moons. The small circles are pulsars. If you land on one with a pulsar, a quick press of F the F3 key will take you into the star system where you can track the pulsar down by just moving the camera around. It's kind of a looping sort of small camera space. Um, and you'll see a little glint of something and then you have to shoot it. If you shoot it, you get some energy back. And that's how you kind of build your energy back. Because going to any of the planets, um, so once you've done that, you go to the planet. So going to the planet can uh, usually entails uh, about a three-stage process. So the first stage is you press F3 once you're over a planet, and you'll get like a top-down view of the moon itself. 
And again, it's that small scrolling area, so you loop around quite quickly going up, down, left or right. Um, sometimes it's barren and there's nothing there, so you head off to another moon. Other times there are um, uh, some sort of installation, some gun em gun emplacement, basically. And in the bottom left of the screen, there is uh, the word X-Ray in a little bar. So essentially the, there's a, the bar will move up towards the top or it'll go down to the bottom. And if it starts to move, it means there's some uh, uranium-235 on that planet. But first of all, you have to take out the, uh, the sort of gun emplacements that are shooting you and they are they kind of got a spoke so there's four spokes and a center bit the center bit will shoot at you you have to blow up the four spokes around it it's quite tricky because every time they hit you and they constantly hit you you lose a bit of energy and the screen shakes so it's hard to line up your shots and there can be many of these things in a row so you've got to do quite a bit of shooting if you take all those out you can then find where the by moving around the grid the bar will move up in the x-ray part once it's at its full you're over where the uranium is so then you can lower um you can drop a robot down you've got 10 of these robots you can lower it one of them send one of them down to the surface to do this you just you load one up you fire it down there's a little circle in the bottom right corner you've got to keep the little dot in the middle of that keep it down it lands fine at that point it becomes like a 2d side-on scrolling thing kind of um, moon patrolish i guess but you've got to basically there's an arrow pointing which way so you go left or right whichever way the arrow is find the barrel grab the uranium out of it and then head up back to the planet and repeat. There's 10 moons to go through and you've just got to make your way around this 10 by 10 grid, try and survive, get all the energy you can to head back to Earth or you die if you run out of energy or you lose all your robots. And that's it. Okay, rinse and repeat. So I thought this was much better than Assault Machine. Um, I really didn't like Assault Machine, but I actually didn't mind this once I'd got my head around what I was supposed to do because there's quite a lot, there's quite a chunk to this and getting your head around all, how all the different disparate parts of it sort of fit together. But once you do, it's quite, I thought it was quite cohesive. Um, all the sections, they felt connected to each other, whereas I felt in that Assault Machine, they didn't. Um, and I didn't think any of this kind of concepts worked. So, you know, you're scanning stuff, you're picking stuff up. It reminded me, I don't know if you've ever played Mass Effect 2, where you have to scan the planets and send a probe down. But it's, I know, in this, so you scan the planets, you find the probes, you get the stuff. It's kind of similar-ish in, you know, that, uh, that kind of concept. It's not the fastest game. It's not the best-looking game. It's not the best-sounding game. But the underlying concept and the way it's all presented and the way it all fits together and it all kind of plays okay. And so this is all right. I didn't mind this. And maybe I didn't mind this so much because we'd had so little quality to play. I don't know. You know, in a in a higher scoring magazine run, you know, if an, an episode or issue, we might have looked at this and gone, yeah, it's a bit dull. But coming at this as we did after all the stuff we've been playing, I was like, you know what, this is all right. And so I, I was on a, I was like, maybe I was looking for some enjoyment somewhere. And I, 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 I quite got into this and I, I, I found myself playing this for quite a chunk of time. And so I, I thought this was all right. Um, they gave it 85%. I'm not quite sure I'd be up there. <laughs> I think a tenner is maybe a bit expensive, but it's all right. This was quite good. I don't know. What did you think? For the same reason, I wasn't really into the similar game to this. Um, parts of it seemed all right. Um, the presentation of the game was actually quite nice. Like you say, it, it, it at least had cohesion. Um, and where, whereas the pre, what was the previous one that we played that was like this called? Assault Machine. So whereas Assault Machine felt like it was bits of games bolted together that had little to do with each other, this does have a mm -hmm. flow. So it's just, it's it's a bit obtuse at times, this game. It's not always immediately obvious. It take, you've got to take your time with it to sort of go through the options and get used to, the, you know, the transporters and the keys and 
you know, knowing mm-hmm. knowing which view is to do what and and when you actually get in, when you do find the planet with some uh, assault batteries on and you got to shoot them, the, the way it interacts shooting downwards and those shooting up at you is quite nice. Works quite well. It's quite fast. So there's some decent enough graphic touches in it. Um, and I think it's just a game. I think if there was, if you were going to accuse this game of anything, it would be that it would eventually. I think ten levels of this would get a bit tiresome. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And because um, you've got to, but you've got to also think quite carefully when you're moving around between the planets and the pulsars, because you actually use energy up going between those. So, so you've got to sort of think about. You can't just zoom around and go to these things. You've got actually got to think about the resources it takes to get from point A to point. So, there's a little bit of that in it. There's a little bit more thought here than there was in the, any other games like this, and because it's got those extra elements of thought, and the graphics aren't bad. When you're scrolling around, it's actually it's, it is repetitive, but it's fast and it, it plays quite nicely. It's not juddery or anything like that. It's quite nippy, um, mm-hmm. and so you do when you're in the action, it feels like this thing's going on. And like you, um, I thought you know, this this hasn't been rich pickings for this particular episode, and this isn't perfect in any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly finished and complete and coherent. And it's unusual looking, and the parts of the game work quite nicely together. It's not dogmatic, it's not half finished, it's not half empty. There's enough to go at in terms of its visuals, its sound, and its gameplay to make it quite an interesting experience. Would it get dull over time? Well, maybe it would, but you could say that about quite a number of games of this type. If you're into if you get into the zone with it, you're gonna be in the zone with it and time's gonna pass in a different way and all of that. So it it's it's not without its problems, I think, here and there. But those problems aren't necessarily by design or fault of the game. I think it's just you know a game like this could become repetitive. But oh like, I, yeah, I agree completely. But at the same time, yeah, you know, there's other games that you know, yeah. I think the long and the short of it for me are. Um, I think it's a good game in terms of this episode. Is it a great game? No, it's not great, and it maybe the score is a little bit high. But in actuality, you know what? It's not bad. Um, and it did play well, and at least it was coherent, finished, and you could get into it, and it didn't crash or bug out, or you weren't looking mm. at really blocky nothing, or it wasn't half empty, or there wasn't, you know, there was enemies in it. You know, a lot of the games we've played for this episode, it feels like there's always been something missing out of them. At least this one had everything in it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I enjoyed I enjoyed it, and I did I didn't perhaps play it as long as you had. Um, I played it for enough time to get to you know go to on a planet and find the find the resources and shoot the things and do all of that. Um, but um, yeah, it, it was certainly the best of a. It stands head and shoulders above most of the titles in this particular episode, which is saying something. But it, it's it's worth it's worth going and have a look at. I think that's what I'll say. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's this. It, we don't play many of these kind of games, and when we do get them, half the time they you know they just don't all stack together. What was that awful one we played many many ages ago? Starship. Oh God knows. Uh, yeah. The one that was the like, weird one. The one that was a bit like all the borrowed borrowed heavily from all the various. Sci-fi yeah, movies can't remember what Starship Andromeda. Yeah, that was the like one. That, yeah, yeah. So it's it's those kind of things where they have these you know delusions of grandeur that they could fit all this in and do these great things. And it's like, look, you've got sixty four k. This just keeps it nice and simple. There's a there's a there's a few planets. There's some stuff to shoot. You got to get energy. You got to go and get this. The, the the little interstitial bits flying your you know your robot down. The scrolling left and right. It all just works. And it's got, you know, some nice little bits of character to it when you're, I don't know if you got to it, but when your satellite comes down and picks your robot up and flies it back up to the ship, it's all, it's all quite nice. Yeah, yeah, no. And so there's, 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 right. there's, there's bits to it that I, I liked. And, and I think on the whole mm. of everything we've played, 
this you know this this stood out this stood out for me as just a an unusual concept done well i think is the and you know and so yeah, degree. there you go nuclear embargo yeah i never heard of it as well never heard of it never played it. never until we had actually talked about the crap of it the other yeah. week yeah same um and i was never played this never saw it never knew of this so no. pleasant surprise i think but there you go that's uh, that's nuclear embargo uh we've got one more game left which is off our beaten track Mm. Down a scary beaten, down a scary other track, uh, down a scary alley, a scary adventure alley. Mm. Um, so, ooh. So, Graham, let's talk Dracula. Okay. So, tell us about Dracula. So, Dracula is what a, is it? It's, well, first off, this is a text adventure with graphics. Some, some graphics so mainly text some graphics famous for a number of reasons firstly this was a crl game and it was f- quite famous at the time for having quite violent imagery in it which get which gave it well it was submitted for a rating with the bbfc that's the british board of film classification i think they were so certification mm-hmm. whatever they're called yeah so and those are the people that normally rate movies and at this particular time actually it's interesting because this is just on the back of or just after at this time a whole series of events that occurred with the BBFC around the ratings of violence in video. So just not long before this, video nasties had been a thing. And if you're not from the UK and you don't really know what that means, lots of films were released straight to video in the UK that were from all all angles of the globe. And some of those were really quite super violent. And they actually skipped the whole going through the government censorship scheme, such as it was, which was the BBFC or the rating scheme, where they would rate these films for the an audience appropriate nature. And they went straight to video and just put them in the video shops. And of course, this meant that films like Zombie Flesh Eaters and hyper-violent films like Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust and a whole ton of others, some of which weren't really actually either violent or gory or anything, but reputationally and from the video covers and extreme extremity, became the talking point of various people that thought that you know, people shouldn't have the rights to see them. It's crazy when you think about it now, but anyway... So on the back of all of that, um, and, and there was a whole load of spiel in the newspapers about video nasties and the violence in them and how it was affecting kids. And this was a big dialogue at the time. And it, by this point, it had kind of died off a bit. But TV was censoring films on it quite heavily. So Robocop and things like that, when they eventually came on TV, were heavily censored. Even The Thing, when it was originally shown, was censored on ITV. So it gives you a sense of the kind of pressure that the TV companies and everything else was under. And that included games companies. So... Instead of, I think, embracing that, really, I don't think any of the imagery in this is actually particularly violent or gory. Maybe it was at the time, I don't know. But I think more for marketing spin, I have to say. CRL submitted this to the BBFC, and because it had violent, quote-unquote, violent imagery and gory images in it, such as they are, squint and you might get an idea about that, um, it was rated 15, so this is a 15-rated game. So thereby, nobody below the age of 15 uh, was, by rights, legally allowed to purchase or play this or view it. This was an, essentially the first 15-rated, and, and not really adult, is it, but 15-rated game. I think it might even be the first rated game. And later down the line, of course, things like Mortal Kombat and stuff, you know, they, they even they got rated and they were rated 18 rated and so on and so forth. And, it, you know, it went kind of crazy. So this is kind of the beginning of that. The game itself is a text adventure, so it seems odd right from the get-go that this would be a 15 rating because, you know, unless it's horrific description and it can't possibly be any worse than anything that Sean Hudson's ever written. Um, you are taken into the world of Dracula. So Dracula, as we all know, Bram Stoker's famous novel about the Count 
comes to uh, England um, to purchase a property, essentially. So it's, you know, it's the world's most boring story about house hunting, really. Um, <laughs> but um, in in the trappings of uh, Jonathan Harker, who's a solicitor, goes to sort of seal the deal, as it were, and finds out he's a vampire. Dracula then comes and starts vamping people. We all know there's so many variations of Dracula. So this is a variation of that story split into three parts. Um, so the first part is called First Night. These are all separate loads, so it's kind of you, you can play these independently of each other, and they sort of follow in a sequence. But they are three mini adventures, if you like. The first one being mini is the operative word. So yeah. First Night is <laughs> essentially you arrive. You can play as uh, Jonathan Harker, and you arrive um, in Count Dracula's country, Transylvania. That's okay. Um, and you're staying at the Golden Crown. It's made me laugh a lot. And then you sort of strange stuff happens, and you've actually got a sort of Type in text commands a la text adventure to navigate your way around the various hazards and tips. And if you don't, then, you know, you die. And if you die, you die. Um, and you'd normally, if it feels freezing to death or things like that, you're presented with a gory graphic and, and a bit of music. So you can play the first night. The second one is called The Arrival, which is um, starts just after you arrive at Dracula's castle in the book. Jonathan Harker goes to Dracula's castle to uh, get him to sign some papers and ends up getting trapped there by Dracula who then he gets basically given to the brides of Dracula, vampires who feed off him and keep him there, and then eventually he's able to escape and get tries to get his revenge on Dracula for doing that. But this doesn't do that bit, so you sort of start at the, start at the Dracula's castle, and then you've got to, once you realise he's a vampire and he's going to do some nasty stuff, you've got to try and escape the, escape his castle. Third part is called The Hunt, um, where essentially you are tra- trying to track Dracula down um, um, in the context of an insane asylum which in the book is kind of where it sort of segues from a book a little bit here, but there is an entire part where there's an insane asylum and one of the doctor in the book is working in there with a mental patient or one of the patients who was a, the previous solicitor who worked at Dracula or went insane and long, long story short, you basically got to um, uh, try and piece together some series of events that are getting increasingly weird inside of the asylum. So, you start to see weird boxes of earth appear and people start dying and zombie, you know, zombies, vampires start appearing and all that kind of thing. So you get these three adventures, you work your way through them, text commands, the usual thing, north, east, south, you know, pick, you know, closed door, locked door, open window, you get the idea. And this is perically interspersed with graphics, you know, and these graphics are normally images of ghouls, vampires, nasty stuff, you know, gore in some places. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's really the, crooks of this game so it's a t- it's a text adventure now you either like text adventures or you don't there's no middle ground for text adventures this is quite a well-written text adventure so when the text does appear and it appears in like it scrolls up the screen there's quite a lot of it to read so you're reading quite a, but but there's quite a lot of it but it's well quite well written it's quite well described um some of the sequences when you're uh are a bit daft in this game so there's it this part <laughs> there are because and there's no other way to describe it so you know, you'll 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 go east and you'll pick up thing and you'll do that stuff and then some period, periodically you just have to wait and you know and you've got to wait for the right amount of time for certain things to happen in this game. Uh-huh. So, so and then that's <laughs> that is a bit daft. Um, but I don't know if that's because I haven't played a lot of text adventures in my time. I have to say now, weirdly, the very first game I ever made was a text adventure on the Acorn Electron called the Three Keys. No word of a lie. And so um, I. And not that I have a penchant for text adventures. I do find them quite fascinating if they're good. And they've got to be really good. Now, the text on this is great. I don't necessarily think the images really do that much for it. And in fact, 
I don't know if you found this, but whenever the Takata and Fugue music appeared, you know, the da 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 it got uh-huh. really bloody annoying because I couldn't, I couldn't seem to skip it. So it was the sequence, it was the, sequence yep. the dream <laughs> sequence in the first night part and then the, in the part uh. where you, when you see the three vampires <laughs> in the arrival. Every time this music appears, it's Takata and Fugue by Bark, I think it is, isn't it? Takata and Fugue. D-Man, yeah, I think it's Bark. Johan Sebastian Bark, pretty sure it is. Um, so you get that, but it's not more. It's the whole piece of music before you can do anything. So you're like, oh, here we go again. So it just slows down a game that doesn't need to be slow. The point of point, of, my point of all of this is, if you like adventure games, you're probably going to like this because uh, it's not a bad old adventure game, as far as I'm aware. But I think that um, intensity and horror and things that are scary are very difficult to convey in text inside of this kind of adventure. Um, and I think. What they try to do is make it feel more scary than it actually is by adding these extra graphics. Now, I don't know nowadays, because we're so immune to this kind of thing. Back in 1980-odd, was this considered super scary? This is on the back of videos having people having their brains drilled out, so I'm pretty sure it wasn't that bad. But nowadays, you know, we laugh at stuff like that, but, you know, Game of Thrones is far more violent and on TV and and many other TV series, that we, which we've chatted about many, many times. So contextually, this is kind of, a walk in the park, you know, I think a, a young kid would have no problem with this. So it's not that it's scary or anything like that. I think contextually, it's it's from the 80s. It lives in, it lives there. And I actually quite had quite a nice time playing it. I don't, you know, I don't really go for these things normally, but it was, it was quite intriguing. I really liked the Dracula book and I think that helped. But I didn't find anything scary about it. And I'm not sure if that's because I'm so immune to scares now that, um, you know, I'm just, it's, it, I don't know what it would take. I don't think a text adventure is going to do it for me now as an adult or as a, I wouldn't as a teenager, 15 year old especially. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel any pressure or time pressures or anything else. You know, if you don't do things in the right sequence, you do die in this. But I found it weirdly, and I don't know if this has said something else, I found it really easy. I just found it really easy to figure out. And I never normally have that skill with these kind of adventures. I just found my, I found my way through that first night in really super quick. And then the arrival, I was I'm pretty much 90% through it. Um, so And then and weirdly, you don't really get an ending. That just stops, which is a bit annoying. But um, I thought as a final hurrah to this particular issue of Zap, which has been devoid of anything, at least it was something that had a bit of tangibility about it and fangs. <laughs> yeah. And at least it had something a bit, you know, pokey and interesting about it bit like nuclear embargo in that at least it was pretty much all encompassing and it did what it set out to do and if that's the aim even if it had annoying bits in it it was all right but that's my take of dracula what about you yeah i mean i've got probably a bit because i played this i think we bought this um back uh back no, i see i, I never bought a text adventure that. yeah we did i think we did buy it. i did buy it or my brother did buy it one of us bought it and so I, I, I wanted to go back to it and, and have a look at it. And I saw it was in this issue. And I thought, you know what? We'll, we'll take a bit of a sojourn. We'll go have a look at this because we don't normally do this sort of thing. Um, it's what I remember, really. It's that, you know, those three, you know, it's that three-part structure. Um, and the, I think the problem I had with it, I mean, that, that, like you said, that the first, the first uh, adventure, I actually died quite a lot. But I died for, I couldn't figure the logic um, which was which was annoying me for ages. I kept I, I kept getting killed by the dog, um, and I was like, "Well, I don't even know if you can get out of the out of it when the dog appears if you've gone that far, because to complete it, you need to wake up in your bedroom. But every time, no matter what I seem to do, uh, uh, it's just that. So eventually, I figured out, oh, I have to go up and light the lamp. But it's like I found, it, you know, if we're talking text adventures, you want pointers. You want pointers to what you want to do. 
So, okay, so there's a lamp. You can't light it. Okay, let's have a look in the drawer. You find that. That's okay. We get. We kind of work this out. But you, but there doesn't seem to be any logic behind me not turning the light on. I closed the window and then going down and then the dog just getting me. It seemed, okay, I don't get this. Um, and sometimes and sometimes I would choke on my lamb. Uh, I would choke on the lamb. Did you never choke in the night? No. Yeah, loads of times sort of thing. It would just, I would just, I've obviously done the wrong thing and choked on the lamb. So you get this picture of you going, um, which is kind of odd. And, and eventually I managed to make my way through it, but it just felt weirdly, I don't know what I did right, which is kind of a bit problematic, I think, in something like this. So I made it to the second one. And then you, like you said, though, but before you um, can, you, you get, you, you know, you, you have to sit, just sit outside, don't you? You have to sit down and wait. Yeah, really stupid logic, that. It's like, what, what? And you just keep, you have to keep typing. And there's no, you just think you're in a loop because you have to do it about four or five times. Yeah, so after the third times, time, yeah. you just think, you just think you can, after the third time, you're like, oh, this is going to loop. I've, I've obviously got to do something else. So I went back into the thing. I went all around. Look, and wait, what am I supposed to do? It seems like there's there's a lack of pointers. And that was my problem with playing this. Um, I don't mind text adventures. They're okay. You know, not normally my bag, but I played quite a few of them. I, I had, a, I, I used to muck around with the quill um back uh back in the c64 days so i made some stuff on the quill um just because i you know you, you know me i like writing so um and so the quill was great because it was like oh, i can make text adventures this is a bit of a laugh so then the second part started um and again um you you get in the coach and then the old woman's there and her face looks weird sort of thing but you have to examine her eyes yeah um but there's no pointer to her eyes there's no, like, in the text, it would just go, and her eyes glow with a malevolence, and you're like, oh, okay, examine eyes. All right, I'll look at her eyes, look into her eyes, whatever. But there is none of that. And it's only at that point you get the uh, the three women vision, mm-hmm. like you said, and, yeah, one of them looks like Susie from Susie and the Banshees or mm-hmm. Banana Rama on with green makeup. And and I just woke up, and then, like, you know, and then you, in that dream sequence, you, you're feeling, oh, something's going wholly wrong, and you have to wake up. Like, yeah. This doesn't feel logical, and I think that's the problem I had with this text adventure game. Is it didn't feel like the the logic to felt like okay, and I and then when the coachman wouldn't let me on, I dropped the cross, <laughs> and then he let me on, and then I was done for because you have to open. And I was like, oh, you know what? It takes too much time to go through the like you said the to to Catherine Fugue stuff and just yeah. waiting to get back to that bit and just oh enter enter. enter. So it's okay. I mean, and it is weird that in this time frame we're looking at it and it gets a um, a BBFC rating, which is not for marketing purposes at all. No, no sir, no. not at no. all. No. no, no, it's not. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's there. It's finished. It's it's a interesting curio, I think. It's the way to describe this. Um, and he will, you know, Rod Pike does Frankenstein, doesn't he? Which is the next one. Yeah, he did. He's just a few, um, don't they? Yeah, so Frankenstein, I know, is the next one. Um, but it, this one just feels like a first attempt, but it feels like it's adventure games. They need to point you. Otherwise, it's just trying anything and you just get fed up and you don't feel like you've hit on the solution. You just feel like you've looked on it. Yeah. And that's that's the problem I had with this. So it's all right. But, um, but you know, it's just too just too many sort of inconsistencies and a bit of annoyances and i kind of i think i got halfway through the second part and i never made it to the third one i could have just loaded it up i guess because they're all singular loads aren't they so yeah, yeah. i could have given it a go if i want and maybe i will give it a go at some point but i think i'd had my fill of this and it, it's okay it got 59 percent in their adventure section so you know that tells you it all this is someone 
you know, their adventure section, the white mm. wizard section. There's someone who is playing a lot of adventure games, clearly, and they only mm. gave it 60%, so it didn't rate that highly. I think the, the gimmick of the visuals and everything was seen through quite quickly for the, yeah, the you know, it only works once, yeah. and then it just yeah. becomes annoying. Yeah, quite agree. Um, so there you go. That's Dracula, I guess. But like you, I'm a big fan of the original book. Mm. Um, I really like the original book, the Bram Stoker novel. Uh, I think it's an excellent book, and I you know. So I think is it it's Doctor Seward, isn't it? By Dr. the way, Seward, Doctor Seward. Yeah. So I knew there was a doctor. And uh, in the Ren, 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 Renfield. Renfield. Yeah. Renfield. And is it Carfax? Not Carfax, Carfax Abbey. Carfax Abbey. What's that's... The Carfax Abbey and Ca... oh, what? I can't. I can't remember what the uh, the hospital's called. Yeah. Can't not Carnstein. Uh, it's something weird. <laughs> no, not Count Carnstein. Not Count Carnstein. <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's Dracula. It's all right. If you like advent, text adventures, but we thought we'd give someone a bit of a difference because hey ho, something to take our yeah, mind we, off the well, yeah, dross that's that's been in the rest of this episode. So there you go, that's Dracula for you, and that's I think our last game. That is our last game in this section. <laughs> We do have, though, we do have a crapvert to look at. If you'd like to scroll your screen down to that crapvert. Yeah, I can see it. Microgen um, again. <laughs> Microgen with, with a game called Cop Out. With a new logo. Yeah. So, so Graham, would you like to uh, describe to us this Cop Out? Um, <laughs> so, I, so it's, like, it's, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? So it, game's called Cop Out. So you've got the top, you've got kind of, um, you've got, the cop-out title, which is cop-out. Then you've got the weird microgen logo in the middle. At the bottom, you've got a police officer stood firing a gun, I hope, um, <laughs> um, straight at the, straight towards you, and then flanked either over his shoulders what looked like sort of weird secret agents from a completely different genre. Um, and yep. he's superimposed over a city, which I think is meant to be like New York. He looks a bit like a New York cop. That looks like a New York cop outfit, except he's carrying a holster... Like a cowboy, which I don't think they would have it like that. Um, and it's just a bit naff. Um, there's no screen he's floating, of the game. He's yeah, floating. Yeah, he's floating over some kind of cloud. There's no indication of what this game's about. What? There's no screens on it. It tells you which platforms it's available on um, and where it's available in terms of an address. There's literally nothing to go at. It's really crap. And I think he's meant to be holding a gun and firing it, which is fine, but it doesn't look like that. It looks like he's he's kind of cupping. Some, I don't know what you'd even describe that. It's, it's, a sparkler. Yeah, it's like he's just and it's and he's meant to be aiming down the barrel of a gun. Why wouldn't you just have him aiming down the barrel of a gun? It, you don't need to have him shooting because it conveys no. nothing. It just looks like someone's uh, punched him in the mouth and it's you know or they didn't draw his mouth in and just called, someone coloured over it by accident. So it's not a advert that makes any sense it's a true crapvert in the tradition that they've got a cityscape at the bottom clearly just superimposed a, and hand-drawn policeman over that by the way they've overshaded his trousers and his shirt especially his shirt it's got it's super shaded it's like crazy shades it's like somebody went mad on the whole you know what that if he's wearing jeans he'll need creases around the crotch so they crotch shaded his jeans like crazy <laughs> so no and it, so he's, he's got very well drawn legs and torso that and you know, the actual drawing of its in of itself is really well shaded and really quite good. Just falls apart with the holding of the gun. Um, and he actually does have a rusty sheriff's badge. I'm just saying he does have one on him. <laughs> uh, but it all falls apart when you look at the weird cloud secret agent type people in the background. Dubious that they look as well because they you know there's a look to them that's a bit dubious. Um, I don't know. It's just it's you not really about reminds- anything. <clears throat> Do you know what this reminds me of? No. Um, it reminded me of the Mantronics advert. 
Yeah, similar sort of. Because it's that similar thing. There, it's the yeah. sort of the, the, fi- the figure in the middle with the weird characters in the yeah. corner that seem to bear no relation I mean, to the thing in the middle. I have a funny feeling that they've taken a still from the Police Academy movies of Tackleberry and just traced over it. Yeah, because that, <laughs> yeah. that looks yeah, a bit yeah, like might... looks like a Tackleberry pose to me. You um, might not be wrong, and that's exactly the same cop outfit and same cap hat that they wear in that movie because they don't obviously they don't wear real police outfits in the film. So um, maybe, but I don't know. Just well, low, slung, like low slung holsters on cops. I don't think that's going to happen, is it? No. Do you think they're like sort of ghost cops of his like they're advisors to him, like good cop, bad cop? I don't know, but it doesn't make on his any shoulders. It's, none of it makes sense. None of it. None of it makes sense. You don't know what that game is. You don't know what it's about. The logo isn't giving anything away. It's so bland and flat. It could be yeah. anything. It could literally be anything, that game. And nothing is given away. In fact, it's so clueless that I haven't got a clue. It doesn't even have a tagline to say, cop out, the game of, or, you know, some, <laughs> it's, it's avoided any of that. It's so obtuse that it's beyond the pale. It's, it's, it's literally so confused. It's about nothing. And the Microgen logo is a catastrophe. Whoever sanctioned that rebrand needs a boot with the ass. It's awful. Yep. No, I've got a funny feeling it's... that that was drawn by somebody below the age of eight. <laughs> it looks, yeah, it just, it's weird, isn't it? It's yep. a weird thing. It's, it's also got like thought bubble yeah. on the bottom left of the microgen. Has, like, yeah. It's like the guy, it's like the ghost on the left is thinking it. And I thought, I didn't realise that microgen was spelt with a K and not a C, but you know, I guess it is. Um, anyway. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if yeah. you want a copy, send your postal orders or checks to Unit 15, the Western Centre, Western Road, <laughs> Bracknell, Berks. With no postcode. With no postcode and no price for... I guess they're all the same price, the Amstrad Spectrum eight Commodore. 895. Yeah, 895. Unless you want the Amstrad disc. <laughs> Random. No Amstrad... Oh, there's on cassette for that as well. So. Yeah, yeah. But if it's a single It's load, terrible. It's, it's, a, it's such take. a... It, when I was looking through the adverts looking for one, it just it stood out to me because it was just... It's just crap, we're going to end up it? playing it, I think, at some point, and we probably and well, it's going to be a load of assholes. So it's going to be a lot of tight-fitting jeans. It is very, 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 yeah. very lots of crotch shading. Though I admire that level <laughs> of detail around, you know, crotch shading. That is dedication, you know, because jeans are, yeah. you know, that is a very difficult area to shade correctly. You now, when he yeah, hasn't no, overbulged, got... it's not overbulged. It no, no. I'm just hoping he's got some uh, potpourri in there. Well, I would imagine he has. Yeah, this is the potpourri episode. It is. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, there you go. That's it. That's their crap verse. There, I couldn't find any charts. Um, there was no charts in either Commodore User or CMVG for this month. So, don't know what was number one in the thing. We'll just say that um, I don't know what was number one. Anything could be number one. Green World Brain. Games. <laughs> World Games was number one. There you go. That's what we think was number one. So there you go. That's your top thingy. But right, I'm just gonna just give you the list. We've got there's a, there's just a shit ton of games coming for February 1987. It gets ridiculous. There's a total of 41. So we have to talk how we're going to actually try and deliver this lot, <laughs> whether it's a mammoth episode split more. We don't know yet. We'll, we'll come to it anyway. But we've got things like 1943. We just had 1942. Mm. Um, Arctic Fox, Avenger, uh, Bomb Jack 2, Breakthrough, Championship Wrestling, Cobra, mm. uh, Defcom, Destroyer, Dragon's Lair 2, Firelord, Gauntlet, Harvey Headbanger, Heartland, mm. Highlander, mm. Howard the Duck, hey. Hyperball, Ooh. Infradroid, It's mm. a Knockout, Judge Dredd, oh uh, Legend of Cage, oh Light Lord. Force, Los Angeles SWAT, Molecule Man, mm. Paperboy, Park Patrol, oh, Psychastria, oh, wow. uh, Scooby-Doo, oh, Sigma 7, mm. Skyrunner, Space Area, Starglider, oh, no. Storm, <laughs> Surf Champ, Tarzan, 10th oh, Frame, Terra Cresta, they stole a million. Mm. The Vikings, mm. Zeno, 
and Zevius or mm. Zevius, however you pronounce that. That's Just a, a few then. That's a lot of games. So we will play all them. So you don't have to. Um, <laughs> we will play them all. How we actually bring them to you is still something that we are debating. Yeah. So, but we, you know, over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it's going to be, uh, we will get through all them. So, you know, there's a lot coming, and that's just the start. You know, we're just starting 1987. Yeah. Um. So, um. One thing, obviously, that's up and running now. I'll just add it here. If you wish to uh, get in contact, but if you wish to sign up to our Patreon, Patreon, then please do. Um. Just. Search for Zap to the Past Patreon and you'll find us. Uh, you get some cool stuff. If you fancy supporting the podcast and helping us out, that would be cool, yo. We would really like that uh, just to help us with the cost of the ongoing stuff that's going on. And so that's that. I'll leave, obviously, Graham will say all the rest in the outro bits. And I don't think we've got much more to add. I think that's yeah. it for this drudgery of an episode. Um, hopefully we'll have much better games next month, but who knows? We don't know. We'll see what they're like. Uh, you got anything you want to add? On that note, no, no, no. I think let's just. I'm not even know. going to ask to sort of pick a good, you know, pick the highlight game from this no. because there's nothing I would there add to any list. No, no. It's just uh, I not think really. I'm going to write January off a little bit, um, and let's, you know, we know that um, the next episode is going to be feature packed with plenty of games to really have a chew on. So um, yeah, I think um, yeah, there's going to be some interesting debate in some of there. I'm quite looking forward, interesting to see what how some of these revisit, like Dragon's Lair 2 and things like that. I'm quite curious to see how they replay after all this time. So it'd be mm. quite interesting stuff. In amongst all that, though, isn't interesting that no gold medal. No, a couple of sizzlers in there, no, and, I, and that surprises me. Well, that two, Dra- two of them are adventures, though. Well, Dragon's Lair 2 isn't a sizzler, but gone is. I can see there being some controversy there. <laughs> leave that for the podcast. Well, yeah, we'll see, because I haven't played it for a while, so we'll see. All right, I think on that note, then, we'll call it uh we'll call it an episode so as ever i have been adrian mills and i have been graham raddings and you have been listening to zapped to the past and we will see you again next week goodbye thank you for listening to the zapped to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music films and tv from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of zap 64 magazine published at that time we will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptothe, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember... We play these games so you don't have to.